Hello there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for It Follows. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here to discuss It Follows with Christian... Wait, hold on. I wrote down how to pronounce this. Christian McCoskey. Uh, I'd like to be referred to as not Hugh. And with a tagline, we hope, for It Follows, we have Kelly Wand. Uh, it's like a zombie movie, but with one zombie. <laughs> it's good, because normally they come in hordes, don't they, Kelly Wand? My backup is still interested. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Kelly Wand, do you also have an IMDb synopsis to uh, uh, read for us and the listeners uh, before we discuss It Follows? Yeah. What, what, uh, what is it, and are you going to make us guess a title this week? or you mm, This is a movie I bought you once. Fred and Lynn something. Well, I already know now what it is. You've only bought oh! me one movie, and all of our, uh, all the time I've known you, you've bought me one movie. So, is it? Is it? Does the name begin with the letter T, followed by a word beginning with the letter V? No. Oh, wait. You mean TV? <laughs> it's not the visitor. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I've now ruined the IMDb synopsis that Kelly Wand was going to read. Kelly Wand, why don't you read us from IMDb the synopsis for The Visitor? Okay, I'm going to change my answer to I'm not going to tell you if that was right or not. Ah, good. We'll find out as you read it. Okay. Wealthy Atlanta basketball team owner Raymond Armstead, Lance Henriksen, is dating divorcee Barbara Collins, Joanne Nail, and seemingly in love with her. But he is really on assignment for a mysterious syndicate of rich men trying to gain power through the evil manipulation of a genetic alien force that is carried in Barbara's womb. Both Raymond and the smart-mouthed and uncannily talented preteen daughter of Collins, Katie Page, wait, Katie, Page Connor, want marriage and a new baby to be born with this baby carrying forth the power that Katie is starting to show. An older man <laughs> appears from another world, John Houston, the name of the world. <laughs> It intervenes as the force of good that this power potentially has, trying to stop Katie from using her powers for evil and to take her back to a place where the goodness of children can thrive. Should we uh, have Dingus watch The Visitor? Or is this yeah! Really? Okay. <clears throat> I've seen The Visitor. Why what is this doing visitor? in the not trash? The, not the Thomas McCarthy one, Dingus. Oh, rats. Yeah. Darn it. I, I didn't understand that synopsis based on the fact that I was thinking of Richard Jenkins and all of those roles. You had me at I didn't understand that synopsis. Yeah, I always do. Hello, Tom. Hello, Kelly. Yeah, every time, Kelly Wanda, I'm looking over my movie collection and I get down near the Vs. Because I have a few little things in my movie collection where somebody gave me a movie. I'm not just going to throw it away. Uh, I get down to the Vs and I'm like, why do I have The Visitor? Oh, yeah, Kelly Wand gave me that. I can't throw it out yet. Ever. Well, no, Kelly's... it's a gift. Yeah. You can throw it out if you want, but I want it. And I want any, everything else in your trash for other reasons. <laughs> Kelly always loves it when you get down to the V's. TV. The Visitor, yeah. Now, have you seen the Thomas McCarthy, The Visitor, Kelly Wand? No, uh, I okay. felt like I'd mastered the genre with the one. It's the far superior The Visitor. I oh, The Visitor is a minor visitor? Yeah, yeah, the, the original Houston. visitor is definitely a minor visitor. Houston's a minor visitor. Yeah, yeah. Copy uh, that. Definitely not one of John Houston's finer moments. Uh, you can see what it would have been like with him as Gandalf. Mm, Remember I, the part I, yeah. where the kid tries to drop a building on him? 
I do, yes. Yep. And then he outsmarts the kid by being somewhere else. And then it, the music's all That's part of its uh, that's part of the, the omen ripoff aspect of the movie. Like at times it's trying to be like an omen ripoff, at times it's trying to be a weird trippy like Kubrickian kind of thing. Uh, at the other times it's like some alien invasion kind of movie. Um, yeah, it didn't a, seem like music I picture John Houston hearing in his head. It's a big mess. I don't recommend it to anyone and that includes Dingus. What? <laughs> Do you remember at the beginning where the guy's telling them, all the kids, the mythos of the movie? And it's all... And then there's a hawk and a volcano, and they're all just, like, tripping balls. It's the visitor for you. Yep. All right, Wand, that's enough visitor talk. Uh, Let's talk about this week's movie. Uh, So this week we saw a movie called It Follows. Uh, We're not going to spoil anything for you just yet. Um, There will be spoilers shortly. And I think... I don't know, I think I speak for us when, when I say uh, this is one that we would encourage you not to listen to the podcast until you've seen it. Um, and that might be difficult because right now it's in very limited release. Uh, so hopefully you'll come back and listen to this podcast after it's been on you know, DVD or whatever, or Blu-ray, or it's open near a theater near you. Um, so, uh, But stand by, we're going to give you some non-spoiler information about it first. Starting with Dingus. Dingus, why don't you just give us the basics? All right, well, this week we saw It Follows, a 2015 American horror movie about, uh, you know what, I'm just going to go with what Tom just said, and, uh, you know, uh, this isn't a cop-out, I'm just going to say, the the less you know, the better, just go see it. Um, anyway, it was written and directed by David Robert Mitchell, Ugh. and it stars... Wait, hold on, uh, he's got, wait. David Robert Mitchell. It's bad enough when someone has two first names. This guy has three first names. Yeah. Mitchell's David. first name? It's actually three people. It's David, comma, Rob. I, I didn't do the Oxford comma. David, Robert, Mitchell. Yes, three <laughs> first names. And, uh, yeah, Mitchell's a first name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're known so many. Mitch. Mitch is short yeah. for Mitchell, Kelly Wand. He removed the the second set of three names for professional reasons. Uh, there's another great director actually with three f- first names. Do you guys know who Paul Andrew Williams is? The guy who directed Boogie Nights. Nope, nope. He did a movie called London to Brighton, uh, and oh, that's Cottage, and a great movie called a great home invasion movie called Cherry Tree Lane. Again, three first names: Paul Andrew Williams. Oh. Uh, would you consider the name Green uh, a first name? Mm, I don't think so. Oh, rats. Would you? Why? Wait, Green's his first name and Berg was his last name. No, but but uh, that I was hoping David Gordon Green could then jump into this club. Oh, no, he pulls out at the last moment. He's going along with first names, <laughs> and the last moment he pulls out, and he's like, psych, oh, I've got a last name. Yeah. He pulls out at the last moment. Yeah. Oh. All right, so I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Dingus. Oh, Robert, da- uh, no, geez, uh, David Robert Mitchell directed <laughs> David this. Robert Mitchell, he wrote and directed this thing. Mm-hmm. Um and it stars, uh, and I've had to ha- ask for help for this. I thought it would be Micah, but I think you guys have said it's Make-A-More? make a make a Monroe? I thought it was Mika, maybe, but then I get it mixed up with the Paranormal Activity character. Maybe. Well, I would think I would think it's either Micah or Mika. Well, out of respect, I just call her Ms. Monroe. All right, Ms. Monroe. Jake Weary, which, what a name. Can you imagine being called Jake Weary? Just like, I guess we're name snobs. Yeah, uh, Keir Gilchrist and Lily Seppe. It Follows is rated R for disturbing, violent, and sexual content. 
including graphic nudity and language. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it follows is currently at 95%. That is the percentage of reviews oh. that are positive. Uh, it does this funny thing, though, where if you... if uh, That's the critics' uh, reviews. The, the critics are 95% positive. The audiences, however, are only 71% positive. Uh, oh, well. Uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, it's at 82. Uh, we right would, down the middle. We would normally talk about how much a movie has made when it opens, but that's not really uh, a situation here because it follows as only in four theaters. Uh, however, what is an interesting situation with the opening, um, it follows was distributed by a company called Radius, which is a division of the Weinstein Company. Uh, and Radius is known for uh, testing out simultaneous theatrical and video-on-demand releases. For instance, right now, they have a movie called uh, Monsters Dark Continent, which is the sequel to the Gareth Edwards thing with Scoot McNary. Um, Monsters mm. Dark Continent is currently on video on demand. It has a theatrical release, uh, I think, next month. Uh, Everly, which is a Selma Hayek parlor room grindhouse uh, action movie, <laughs> uh, also on video on demand and has a limited theatrical release. There's a Nick Kroll vehicle called Adult Beginners, uh, again, video on demand, a limited theatrical release. So that's what Radius does as a subdivision of the Weinstein Company. They're they're, they're testing the waters for, uh, hey, can we can we both flex video on demand and go for the theatrical release money? Um, and what's tricky about this is if you're available for uh, video on demand, a lot of theater chains don't want to carry your movie because they figure, look, it's not going to make any money. People are going to stay home and watch it. So. Radius is doing experimental stuff with that. So what you would normally figure is that It Follows has a very limited theatrical release. It's in four theaters, and it should soon be out on video on demand. And a while ago, that did seem to be the implication. There was a March 27th video on demand release that was kind of floated. Um, but at some point, I think as it started building positive buzz, uh, Radius stopped talking about the video on demand uh, debut date. Um, and I've actually been getting press releases for this movie for some time, and they never mention the video on demand release. So, I think what's happened here is that they're, they're backing off from this idea of video on demand, and they're going to probably, and I don't know for sure, because they haven't announced anything, uh, go for a wider limited release on this. Um, and part of, of the, the evidence that this is what, what they're going to do is how well it performed this weekend. Now, uh, we've talked before about, uh, we'll mention a movie's overall box office take when it opens. Uh, but another figure that is worth looking at is the screen average. Uh, and if it, the studios care about the overall take, you know, how much money are we going to get from this? But the chain, the theater owners, care about screen averages because that more directly relates to how much money they're going to make. Um, and it follows did a great job with, with screen averages. Uh, it opened it four, on four theaters. It made $160,000, so that's $40,000 a screen. And to give you some uh, a frame of reference there, uh, Cinderella was the number one movie this weekend. It made $68 million, and it was on 3,800 screens. Now, I've done the math for you. Put down your pencils. Don't worry. I'll tell you. Uh, that is an average of $17,000 per screen. So it follows doubled 
the per screen more than doubled the per screen take uh, of Cinderella, which is a very successful movie, and that's the sort of thing that theater chain owners are interested in. Um, so, for instance, another example, uh, Run All Night, which was the, uh, I think it's uh, uh, Ed Harris, Liam Neeson, an action movie, it tanked, made $11 million on 3,200 screens. That movie's average, $3,500 per screen. Um, so, with a $40,000 per screen average, I think It Follows is going to be particularly attractive to theater owners and will probably, and I hate to say this because it means few of you can see it, will probably not get uh, a video-on-demand release anytime soon. But it I seems know. like a movie you'd really want to see in a theater, if possible. Like, I think it has a lot of power on the big screen. It's definitely, there's a lot of craft to it, and it's definitely, yeah, yeah. And you get, I think that's the best way to experience it. Uh, and I agree, yeah. By the way, do you guys, you guys know what movie really kicked ass at the screen averages? You're going to love this, Dingus. Uh, American right. Sniper averaged on its opening weekend, again, four theaters, uh, its opening weekend, it made $600,000. Granted, this is a Christmas weekend, but it's, its average per screen, $160,000. What do you think of that, Dingus? America loves American Sniper. Well, there's the word American in it. So yeah, we love our, we're, we're very narcissistic. Every movie that has American in the name is a hit. Yeah. So, unfortunately, uh, you might have to, and I think we all agree it's probably for the best, you might have to get your ass out to a theater to see It Follows. Um, but it's worth the hassle. Uh, it definitely is. I mean, it's not you might have to. You should. Well, then let's yeah, talk uh, about it. Before we talk in oh, more detail point, yeah. about this, though. But it is related. Like, they're smart. Like, you're talking about, okay, like, to, as an experiment in video on demand, like, this is the wrong film to be trying that with, as opposed to, like, the interview. Like, it's very... You know, though, uh, I... Yeah. Cinematic. Yeah. Well, the interview is a very different situation, but, you know, I... I, I and the, the filmmakers were at, they were doing a Q&A at the thing I was at, and afterwards uh-huh. they were like, this is the first time we've even seen it on a screen this big. And it, they were like, their minds were kind of blown, because like, they had all watched it on their phones. And ah, shit. so Kelly, when we want to hear about this, you got to see it with q and I'm, I'm jealous. That, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm jealous yeah. too. It's, but it's not just size of screen, it's the communal experience, I think. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Especially, yeah, especially horror movies and especially this one. Well, let, let's get into that in a second. Kelly Wan, why don't you quickly uh, – so we haven't given you any spoilers other than the fact that I, I think you're going to find out soon enough we're all pretty crazy about this. Um, Kelly Wan, why don't you go ahead and spoil the movie? If you're listening, if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. Get out of here. Uh, come back after you've seen the movie. Or no, no, actually don't get oh, – oh, oh, come back. Hold on. Hold on come back. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, Westworld. So fast forward to when we talk about Westworld. Uh, don't, don't leave. Just fast forward. And then after you've seen It Follows – Come back and listen to the podcast. Um, so, everything's been. Seen Westworld either? That's fine. They don't need to. They shouldn't. As a matter of fact, they're, they're better for it. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. But Kelly Wand, why don't you go ahead and spoil it? Follows by giving us an it followsopsis. Wait, say that again. No, I'm not going to. I, it, I, I, it it follows it philopsis. Oh yeah, yeah, that works as well. Get, Kelly Wand, give it to us <laughs> slowly. See, however you think it should be best. No, I was doing a callback to the to the present. Just checking my mic. It philopsis. A chick comes out of her house and runs around on the street for a while. The neighbors are all, eh, I guess you got laid again. Eventually, the distressed girl concludes that getting murdered at night on the beach sounds less terrifying. She finds a beach, reopens her car doors just for old times' sake, and calls her dad's phone. 
it rings. His voice is all, Hey, my daughter's been missing for six hours, uh, so I went to sleep. Later. It beeps. Hey, Dad, you remember that movie, The Ring? Uh, not the one with Frodo, although there are parallels. Let me start over. You know that cute weird guy, Hugh, with the beard at Del Taco? Kept asking us if we saw giants and peeing women. And afterwards, <laughs> you were all, thank God you're not dating that dude. Message sent. <laughs> Ten hours later, there's a picture of her corpse's horrifically contorted femur on the shore under the headline, Podiatrists Baffled by Shoe Mishap. One girl doesn't give a shit about her neighbor's bizarre murder. Mika from The Guest. She's put all that guest craziness behind her and lives in an above-ground cistern in somebody's backyard. She stares at some trees and goes, Oh, I can see you. Two ten-year-olds raise their heads over the tree line but continue masturbating silently. Mika's smirk is all. Life in the big city. Her real friends emerge from some other bushes. She's all, Hey, I didn't see you guys or I would have said so. Her dorky, horny friend, Paul's all, Hey, Mika, uh, need any help with that suntan oil? The masturbating kids snicker. Paul <laughs> blushes. Uh, I mean, he pees his pants. Daphne's all, Actually, Mika's got a hot date tonight with that guy, Hugh, from Del Taco. <laughs> He's been sleeping with a bunch of chicks who keep turning up dead. <laughs> Mika's all, I love how furtive he is. You should have seen his face when I found all the chloroform and ropes and the pictures of me in his trunk. Thelma, the glasses wearer of the groups all. Well, <laughs> you know what I say when it's Miller time? She farts. Mika lies back in her pool and wonders why she's friends with these people. That night, oh, Hugh, this is great. Standing in line to see Chappie. It's kind of relaxing, actually, especially after our usual dates. Skydiving, escalators, running in marathons. And what's with you always insisting on drive through He's all, uh. Anyway, it feels good just to be stationary for once. Hey, look, there's an actor named Hugh in the movie we're about to see. Aw, it's a sign. Look at it, according to my IMDb app, he plays Angry Man in Shorts. Were you named after Hugh Grant? Or Lou Grant? Yeah. Aw, you don't care. Is your mom Sigourney Weaver? Yes. Aw, did she enjoy filming Chappie? No. God, no. How can you ask that? Aw, I love it when you spit flex me. Hey, I have a cool idea for a game we can play. You pick one of these hundreds of people that you'd want to switch bodies with, and I have to guess who it is in two tries. Ready? He stares right at her and goes, okay, I picked someone. She's all, yay, see how fun? Is it someone <laughs> 10 miles from here? No. What? That's your guess? Okay, I give up. Tell me. No, you said two guesses. Yeah, it's too hard. Just tell me. <laughs> Hint, it's you. But I can't tell you why till after you inhale this chloroform. Aw, I love you too. You know what? I really think this two guesses game I invented is going to make me... Ugh, awesome. She wakes up tied to a wheelchair in a parking garage on top of a hill. Hughes all... Hey, uh, so the good news is the cure for what I just transmitted to you during sex is more sex with as many guys as possible. She's all, well, that's good, because I already have a little of everything. Hey, who's that naked mom coming towards us? He's all, yeah, don't let her touch you or uh, bake for you. Her cooking's really overrated. 
Uh, the other good news is that she's always this slow, although having you tied to the wheelchair makes it a little more interesting. They tease the ghost for a while, then he drives Mika home and deposits her naked, trembling body in the middle of the street while her friends watch. As he gets back behind the wheel, he's all, Uh, hope we're still on for ice capades Thursday. He drives off. Mika's friends all come over and gawk. Daphne's all, So how'd the date go? Thelma farts. Paul stares after Hugh's car and goes, Damn, that guy just lived out all my fantasies at once. The next day, Meek is at school, ignoring everything her teacher's saying as usual, when a crazy old lady starts shuffling towards her in the hallways and goes, You owe library books! <laughs> She's all, I don't care, Mrs. Crabchuck. But then another old woman starts following her. She hops around it on one foot while it gropes feebly at her. Eventually, she drives home. Later... And then when I woke up, I was in a wheelchair, and he said a bunch of shit about a ghost that walks slow. Velma opens her heart-shaped Kindle and writes, It walks slow. Paul's all, Wait, so can it climb? Daphne's all, Just become a stewardess on red-eye flights. Every time your plane lands in New York or L.A., it'll have to shake its fist and turn around again. You'll be haunting it. Could be pretty funny for a couple weeks. Thelma's all, I have a firing solution. She farts. They all laugh and hug. Paul's all, uh, so getting back to what your uh, latest romantic miscalculation said about getting rid of it by fucking someone, <clears throat> probably a good idea to have sex with someone intelligent who will stay alive longer. <laughs> Fred's all, or someone dumb, for no reason. Meek is all, wait, guys, is that giant coming through the door there, one of us? They're all, uh, they drive away. Fred's all, hey, I just suddenly realized I know where Hugh lives. Let's go sit on his yard and hang out with him. Might be fun. <laughs> Later, sitting on some grass with Hugh, Hugh's all, <laughs> so no hard feelings. Uh, I'm still really into you as a friend. Paul's all, nice try, Lothario. That job's taken. Mika's all, wait, I still don't get why you took me to a movie theater. A crowd seems like the dumbest place to be. Everybody laughs except Paul. He's all, I don't think that's funny. I don't think that's funny at all. Daphne's <laughs> all. <laughs> I love your Paul voice. <laughs> I love your Paul voice so much. She was the Paul of 75. <laughs> I don't think that's funny. I don't think, I don't that's, think funny that's funny at all. That is awesome. Her husband's all, whatever. Daphne's all, Thelma, what are you reading on that heart-shaped Kindle of yours now? Thelma's all, this. She raises the Kindle and it farts. Mika's all, maybe we should go to a beach. It worked for that girl at the beginning of the movie. Later at a beach, Paul's all, okay, guys, I got us some corn dogs. What the fuck? Daphne's all, the ghost showed up, so Mika crashed your car into this corn. Paul's all, there's corn at the beach. <laughs> that night in the hospital, Paul's all, okay, I got you guys chips. What the fuck? You're fucking Fred in your hospital bed? And it's not waking any of these people up? Fred's all, no way, this is a hospital bed. With everything back to normal, they all go back to ditching school and sitting on Mika's porch. One day, Fred stops by. He's all, sup, bitches? Mika's all, Hey, been accosted by any slow-moving grandmas lately? 
Fred's all <laughs> usual. Daphne's all, uh, Fred, don't forget to have sex with somebody and pass on the curse. He's all, yeah, yeah. Look, I've been doing a little busy lately. <laughs> Damn it. Look, I've been a little busy lately. <laughs> I like doing a little busy. I like I've been doing it. a little busy lately, bro. You know, homework. They all roll their eyes. Paul's all, I approve. They're all also Fred. Don't forget to get those bars. Put on your windows. He's all, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Paul's all, don't listen to them, Fred. You're too cool for bars. Mika's all. And if someone knocks on your door at a weird hour and says it's your mom, it's actually the ghost since you don't have a mom. He's all, yeah, yeah. The next day at Fred's funeral. And then I gave up trying to guess, so he chloroformed me, and a bunch of shit happened with this ghost. I forgot to mention the ghost. Sorry. I hope that's helpful, officers. The cops go, slow walking, invisible. Got it. Thanks, Mika. They sigh and put away their notepads. And don't worry, officers. I'm not leaving town. Seems like cheating. They're all, do whatever. They get in their squad car, flip the siren on, peel out, and accidentally drive into Fred's grave. The siren subsides. Paul's all, what the fuck, Mika? I like you, too. But you fuck Fred first? He reaches out. <laughs> he reaches out to hold her hand, but she rejects him with a French kiss. He's all, Mika, I have a fatal disease. I'm going to be dead in a few days anyway. The ghost can't kill me twice. It solves everything. Oh, Paul, I don't like you like that. Plus these three frat dudes I swam to on the boat this morning will buy me a few more minutes. To be honest, I've been thinking of getting back together with Hugh. Ugh. Well, at least tell me you'd rather sleep with me than the ghost. She looks away. She's all, what? She's all, you should have seen Fred's face at the end. He just looked so stoked. It was a 300-pound middle-aged woman peeing on him. Oh my god, you look turned on. Velma takes out her Kindle and types. It swallows. Paul's all, wait, Mika, did we have sex? I see a naked man standing on your root there staring at us. Oh, that's just Dad. Hi, Daddy. Hey, Pumpkin. Velma reopens her Kindle and types. It stands. Paul's all, look, Mika. He takes her hand. Do you trust me? They drive to an insane asylum that's mostly an indoor pool. Along the way, they pass a bunch of crime scenes and handsome guys screaming and fleeing invisible pursuers. Paul's all, I see someone's had a busy morning. Mika's all, oh, good. Ten hours later, okay, so I'm in the pool. Uh, walk me through this plan again here. <laughs> a little unclear, a couple things. Thelma and Daphne roll in shopping carts covered with blenders, TVs, electric typewriters, and fax machines begin setting them up around the pool. Paul's all, look, Mika, we may not know much, but this thing probably hates getting electrocuted. It's just as human as the rest of us. So when it gets here, you panic, which being in the water should be easy, and try to out-swim it while we throw all these appliances in the pool and electrocute it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Won't that electrocute me too? <laughs> Said you trusted me. Yeah, that was before I heard your plan. I'd like to change my answer now to no. Thelma comes in pushing a grocery cart full of bottled water. She's all, guys, check it out. This is how they beat Oculus. 
Maybe hydration works against stuff besides mirrors. You never know. I look over at the peeing usher shambling slowly towards me and go, I have a theory that the girl in Oculus thought it was holy water. Back in the movie. Ow, shit! Why is the ghost throwing TVs at me? Ugh! Was this in another of the director's childhood nightmares? Thelma crosses out a line in her Kindle and scrawls. It throws. Guys, can you read me the model numbers real quick? They can't just call it, it throws. Eventually, they trick the ghost by shooting it in the head. As the pool fills with blood and all the TVs begin to sink, a pool cleaner with the mop comes in, looks at the water, and goes, Ugh! And... Fuck! Paul's all, Really? He sees it? You had sex with the pool cleaner? Mika shrugs sheepishly. Velma farts sheepishly. Later, gathered around Velma in a hospital bed and sleeping while she talks as usual. Hey, isn't this the same bed you fucked Fred in? These sheets are still gummy and smell like weed. Anyway, guys, check out this IMDb entry for Enter the Void. Your soul will leave your body and hear Mr. Gray's sphinx-like smile through the phone, because you always have a neighbor named Wisconsin. As she farts thoughtfully, Mika finally has sex with Paul. Afterwards, Paul and Mika celebrate by walking down the sidewalk, holding hands. He's all, uh, by the way, I don't have a fatal disease. She's all, well, if that old lady stops following us, I'll know you fucked somebody else. An L.A. freeway condition signs all. Reading this while driving causes accidents. The end. Thank you, Kelly Wand. You know, my favorite thing about that uh, synopsis is, is that all of his fart jokes are actually grounded in reality. Because they begin with her actually doing a fart joke. Because he, often Kelly Wand's fart jokes are like, why is he saying fart? I guess he just likes to say fart. But this movie actually has a fart joke that Kelly yeah. Wand can, can launch from. And I love that. It just goes to show you that sometimes even a blind squirrel will dig up an acorn. Yeah, Aww. Aww. Uh, Dingus, Squirrel. you are this podcast's horror movie Padawan. Yeah. It's like a um, unicorn to us. Why don't you uh, you go first? So you don't you we've sort of introduced you to some horror movies. It's not a genre you you've always been super into, but uh, I kind of feel like Kelly Wand and I are, are sort of like jaded. Not, well, yeah, yeah, that's one I way to put jaded. it. Jaded. Uh, so Dingus, uh, as a pair of fresh eyes, who's not normally you know you haven't seen all the crappy horror movies we've seen. Go first and tell us uh, what was your reaction to It Follows. Uh, I absolutely – well, I I really love this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, my reaction is I I left the thing feeling exhausted because I was tense the whole time. Yeah. And uh, the – you know, I went. I went to see it with uh, a friend of ours named uh, with named Tony, and uh, and Tom was there too. Um, and uh, I I've never seen a, a movie with Tony before, so he's not used to having to sit next to me and watch me like twitch and scream and like release like there's a, I I have this weird like noise I make to release stress and and I hide underneath my notepad. Uh, so I was completely tense for this whole thing but in a totally good way uh i used to really hate seeing horror movies um that is not the case anymore but still i don't know them very well but damn i had such a great time watching this uh i think it's just so well put together so yeah uh why i mean this is a very obvious question but i'd I'd like you to say more about this why were you tense I, i i i think most of all, 
I think very. I, I, if I were to, if you were to name one thing, there's a lot of things that made me tense about this movie. If I were to name one thing, it's the way that um, it's the way the director constantly, the the way the director constantly pulls pulls focus, uh, pulls our focus, and pulls it away from what we want to see, <laughs> and then forces us to see other things or not to see what we want to see. Um, that was the thing that that drove me crazy the most in a in a very good way the the movie constantly makes me look where i uh, not where i don't want to look but away from where i want to be able to look um and so i was constantly it, it wasn't jump scares it was just like i wait i just want to i just want to look over there i thought i saw something over there for wait i just saw something over there for a second can i just can i just look over there for a second that's, but he won't let you do that that's why i asked too because i was tense after sitting through freaking the lazarus project or the lazarus game which one was it lazarus game uh no project or game which is the paul effect. walker one effect jesus Paul Walker one. There's a Paul Walker movie called The Lazarus Project. Uh, <laughs> it's actually not terrible. It's uh, but it's basically a Jacob's Ladder kind of movie. Um, but uh, Lazarus effect. Uh, I was tense during in that because I, you know, the, the director was constantly like having shit jump stuff jump out. That's at me. yeah, it was a crutch. And that's exhausting, and I hate that. Um, but then there's kind of tension in this movie. Um, and Dingus, I want to hear about your pull focus stuff that like you're talking about. But but for me, it's just the movie has this overwhelming sense of dread um, that it builds up that even when you're just looking at something mundane or even during very quiet moments, uh, is it, it's just steeped in, in dread and menace. Um, and that, that I found exhausting uh, and, and again, yeah. in a good way. A guy in the Q&A, I think it was in the audience, he said something like, it's like a perfect movie because it teaches you how to watch it as you're watching it. Well, I want to hear about that. So, thing is, that, yeah, that's absolutely true. Talk a bit more about what you're saying. Where, like, like you want to look at something and you have to see something else. Can you give me a concrete example? All right. the 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 most obvious example is the um, five. It's not three sixty. It's like a five forty shot in the high school. <laughs> um, when when they go into the high school to check to to find out. Um, they they bring the picture in and the secretary is helping them figure out who Hugh slash Jeff is, and uh, when they when they first walk in and you see in the very far very deep background this figure walking forward and every time you see some figure walking forward in this movie you think is that one of them, um, and so I thought that immediately and the and then the two of them will wind up in the office talking to the secretary as she's showing them the yearbook and the the camera does this slow pan around and and it's going to be 360 degrees and i think uh, you know 540 or or whatever i don't know what the degrees would be but it goes more than once around um and then you see that figure has gotten closer and the camera keeps moving and i and i want the camera to go back around can you bring me back around to see what but it, it, it's that it's that it's that moment in the early part when they're out on a walk and that and the and the dude is washing his car and that house with the star on it and the director's forcing us to look at things like this star why why do i have to look at the star in this house and we're looking at this dude washing his car and then slowly he will drift over to the house where they are going to go in 
And there are all these push-ins, these slow push-ins into windows um, where he's forcing me to just slowly look at something. And I'm so nervous about what's going on behind me or beside yeah. me. Um, and I love the way – at first I was like, why are you forcing me to do this? I'm really annoyed at you. And then later in the movie, I'm like, this is brilliant. He's he's forcing me to look away from the thing just as they are doing at the beach. They're not looking behind them. Why right. aren't you looking behind you? But you're not letting me do it either. I love the way he does yeah. that. Yeah, instead of cheating the time, he makes it. No, he slows it down. Right. I mean, that's one of the things I love. I absolutely love about this movie, and and I will, uh, I will. I'm I'm sorry to say this. I will unfavorably compare it to The Shining, uh, because one of the things in The Shining is these fast zooms that Kubrick is constantly doing that drive me crazy, and and this director is just he slows down every camera move and it's it's unnerving it's utterly yeah. unnerving and there's all this space behind the characters so you can see behind them and they can't and more than half time it's like a dark space or it's too much space like she, he makes things creepy that were or never shouldn't be creepy now now Sally wanted to add more of a horror movie aficionado i'm assuming you liked it as well I loved everything about it. I, I, first, I didn't like the ending, but then it kind of grew on me later. Okay, well, hold that thought. Um, but I, I want to hear what – tell us about the context in which you saw it. So there's Q&A afterwards. Was it, was it just uh, – I Robert? didn't know anything about it. It was the guy – it was the director, the editor, and there's so many – like they're talking, uh, there was like the composer was there. Oh, the composer was there? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know. I want to hear about that guy. And they kept making fun of how drunk he was. Or maybe it was the actor. <laughs> they were giving each other shit. What uh, name did they call him by? Did they call him by his disaster name? Um, what? What do you mean? I don't know what that means. He's, he's got this name. His name is, is Rich Reland, uh, But he also goes by Disasterpiece, which is his, like, I don't know if it's his DJ name or whatever. He's done, he's done composing for video games and whatnot, in which case he goes by Disasterpiece. But his actual composer name is – or his actual real name is Rich Freeland. Um, so I was wondering if they how they introduced him. I can't remember. All right. Mika was there. Mika was there. Her mom was there. Uh, and what, what sort of information did you learn? Like, what, what did they say during the Q and A? Tell us a bit about what what uh, what the Q and A. They were like. most. There weren't really good anecdotes, but they were just like they just sort of praised working on it and like how the acting was really good and everyone the director knew what he wanted and I always hate those where like the Q and A. Don't you know you're not accepting an award? Tell us about the movie for Pete's sake. Quit thanking each other. <laughs> there wasn't Quit any. About how everybody's awesome. We know we just saw your movie. Yeah, yeah. And the guy, the handsome one, who, the dumb one who dies. He was like, yeah, my best day out there was just driving around Detroit. It felt pretty cool. I don't know. There, he, the director said that it was like based on a nightmare he had when he was a kid, where like someone slow is coming at you. Well, that, that I think, so you're constantly making jokes, Kelly Wand, about horror movies tapping into our fear of, insert gag here. Um, but that, I think, is part of what was brilliant about this horror movie is yeah. it, it plays on this idea of the, the implacable, slow-moving monster that, yeah. you know, zombie mythology was kind of built around that idea of something that doesn't have to run at you. If it's relentless enough, it's eventually going to catch up with you. Um, and that is the stuff of nightmares. Uh, yeah. You know, but even 
Yeah, go on. As a human being, you're going to have to stop and rest, and you sleep sometimes. What if something inhuman never stops? You know, Terminator basically is based on that. Um, and yeah, it's definitely the stuff of nightmares, and it's something yeah. we can all relate to. Yeah, and good move. Good horror movies should feel like nightmares. And this, this one of the many things I really like about this movie is it didn't do the stuff that I usually find annoying, like in The Ring and The Grudge, where they kind of explain why things are happening. Like it's never interesting, and it always kind of it almost like humanizes your villain too much, like to know that much about it. Well, it kind of does. Like it, it, it this isn't that kind of movie, and some right. that works better in some movies. But yeah, I was really glad that they we didn't have the inevitable research yeah. into the roots of the, the creature or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't... Pay the first Paranormal Activity, by the way, but in, before it had its procession of sequels, was also really good at that. Right. Um, don't explain Demon it sucks. to us. Just let us know that it's inhuman and we can't possibly understand it. Yeah, and that's and, what makes it scary. Yeah, exactly. Is that There's like nothing monster. here we can relate to or understand, and, you know, we don't need to know where it came from or how it began or, you know, we don't need its backstory. Yeah, and the things that made this monster so great was like a lot of its things seemed really arbitrary. Like it's it's posing as people you know when it doesn't need to, which makes it seem more alien. It like, oh. Well, and even the people like that, that is also I loved, is the arbitrariness of who these, what apparitions were. Like I was talking to Dingus. Dingus and I both missed the first part of the movie, unfortunately, because we we got in there late. Oh, Um, no. Did you see the first girl? Well, so, no, no, basically. Ah, Dingus, Dingus saw a little bit of it. Dingus saw a little bit of that. I, I didn't even I didn't catch any of that. I got there as the, as the girl was sitting uh, on the beach. Um, and actually, I got there in the moment where it's so dark. It, it was completely dark in the theater. And I'm walking up the aisle to try to get to my seat. And I just ran into a person. Uh, and it was one of those arc light ushers who had probably just introduced the movie. I just ran into a person, just wham, ran into him as I'm shuffling up the up that corridor. And he's like, "I'm I'm so sorry, I'm sorry." And he's like, it's okay, "It's okay, it's really dark." So that's how I entered the movie by running into a dude in the dark that I couldn't see. And then the lights came on, and, and it's her staring back and talking on the phone. But one of the things uh, that I was wondering, and Dingus and I talked briefly about, and I don't think this is the case, is. It, it seems so weird and random that one of the apparitions is this woman who I think has black eyes and missing teeth yeah. and is wearing one sock and she's urinating herself. Right. Uh, and I, I wasn't sure if that was a callback to the the first victim or – but I don't think it was. I think it's just this random yeah. appearance. Um, the first victim is a young girl kind of like – right. Well, I think it is a random appearance because what, what – uh, Hugh slash Jeff says is sometimes it'll appear somebody you love just to mess with you. Yeah, so arbitrary. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was sometimes it's a giant. But what I, what I wanted to ask is for the dudes, it looks like it appears as that guy. It looks like it appears as you know when when the guy in the in the in the suit breaks through the window and and jumps into the to go to go after is it greg it looks like he looks like him yeah and the guy in the in the deep background from paul looks like he's dressed as paul and i'm wondering right. if 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 the guys are if their first dude is them if, if it's sort of a narcissist thing i don't even think that, that yeah like i wouldn't be inclined to say that there's not that you probably can't parse it that that uh yeah, right. mitchell yeah. intentionally wanted it to just be arbitrary uh yeah but I think that's—I think he did a really good job with that because it really does seem arbitrary, like in a creepy way. 
and part of what makes it creepy so so the the, the point of the movie also by the way kelly won that whole hey if we research this and we tell you its backstory and its motives and explain what it is to you right. uh i think that weakens the metaphor yes it always um, does yeah it's so, never interesting so obviously the metaphor here is, is about the inevitability of death and, and the, the awakening that comes with sexuality. Uh, you know, there's all that stuff that's being played with. And part of what makes these apparitions so creepy is this weirdly frank, almost accidental nudity in some of the cases. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like like the when when the the apparition appears as the Johnny Depp character's mother, uh, and he opens the the door. And her robe is open, and one of her breasts is hanging out. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just so weird and uncomfortable. Um, yeah, what's it doing that for? Or is it even doing it on purpose? Yeah, it's does just it like just not know how to wear clothes? Yeah. Right. And like, because it, it's not even trying to mimic. Like sometimes it pounds on the door. I don't know. Is Greg's death kind of? It's like the one part where maybe kind of wonder, like, wait, they don't have a plan here. They're just gonna let him. He is to sleep alone at his place. I don't know. Well, one of the things that I didn't I didn't really get at first, uh, and, and I think this is what, what the case is. So, do you guys remember the scene where she's at the beach and she, Kelly wanted you reference this? She sees the three guys out in the boat, right? And then she takes her clothes off and gets in the water. What happens to them? Yeah, do they t- die. Well, what happens? What what? The, then the camera cuts. What happens in the? What happens next? Yeah. Do do we know? But we don't know. Theory? But something. What, what, what do you think her plan is? To, to Tom, Tom what do you think her plan is? Oh, I, I think what happens is she swims out there and has sex with him, and that's why it doesn't show up for the Johnny Depp character for several days, because it's busy tracking those guys down. Right. Right. Okay. By that point, she's thinking tactically. So her, her plan is not to go she's out to sea in order to get away, but, in order to, but, to do, but to do those three guys in order to... Yeah. Because that's but after the, she's had sex with that Johnny right. Depp guy, right? Right. Yeah, and I think she just doesn't tell anyone because she's, you know, there's. I don't know if she's ashamed or uh, for, for whatever reason, or if maybe she thinks that's going to take care of it. Um, but the movie doesn't explain that, by the way. We right, just right. then see the scene where that guy is saying, "Yeah, I haven't seen anything. Man, yeah, I guess we're all cool." Yeah, uh, but he's well, he's doubting. Remember, they're like, he's like, "Yeah, we don't know what happened that day at the beach," and they're like, "Wait, dude, it was an invisible guy and it shot." Like, you don't remember any of that? He's like, "Yeah, whatever." Like, he's already like, sex has numbed him. To the reality. How, how do you feel about that part, Tom? Where, uh, how do you feel about the edit? Where she she wades, she takes off her her clothes, not all of her clothes, wades into the water, and then there's the edit of her sort of wet in the car. Um, I think we're, you know, part of the strength of this movie is uh, that it's it's very, um, and, and the ring plays with some of this, by the way. It's very rules based, and what happens in a rules based movie like this is you as as an audience member can't help but think okay well if these are the rules here's what i would do yeah uh, yeah, yeah 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 and so i'm fine with that edit because we're we, we later figure out what she has done and we're thinking the same thing too like oh i'd have sex with as many people as i can and i'd uh you know we're seeing her go through this thought process and it's just not being made explicit it's, it's part of a puzzle that's being put together for us um so i'm fine with that edit you know i didn't need to see her and and the fact that she doesn't tell any of the others that she's done it, you know, we didn't need to see her dealing with the shame of it. We certainly didn't need to see the scene itself. Um, so I'm fine with that edit. Uh, were you okay with it? Like, what made you ask that? 
because when I was writing it up, I was just thinking, what actually happened here? Or, or are we just supposed to think that she she gave up and went back, or did she actually have sex with those three dudes, or you know what was going on there? But I ultimately came with came away with what exactly what you said, and I love that the movie lets us come yeah. she come away like she with that. I mean, I love what you just said, and I have nothing better to add. I mean, I think that you're absolutely right, and and I love that the movie is smart enough to say this is what happened, and good luck figuring it out. Right, because that's, that's really what it is. It's here's the rules. Uh, how would you play this game? Um, yeah. Right, because one of my questions, you know, as I was watching it was, God, I can't wait to ask Kelly and Tom, what do you think about the rules in this movie? Because I'm such a stickler for that, wow. and I think this movie does such a great job with that. It doesn't explain a lot, and then they learn a lot about it that's still like, okay, you can shoot it, and it does slow it down. Um, well, here's a, I mean, I, I have solved this dilemma. I mean, watching the movie, I figured this out. Here's what you do. You fly to Australia. You have sex with someone. Then you fly home. Then... <laughs> You have sex with someone at home. Then you fly to Australia again, and you have sex there. You know, you, you set yourself up. Uh, you might have to do some math where you, like, calculate the walking speed and, you know, figure out exactly how much time you have. But if you get that thing zigzagging across to the other side of the world and back and forth, you're fine. Or to Mars. If you have sex with someone who's leaving for Mars. I don't think there's anyone out there, Kelly Wand. No, there's a reality show. Come on. Wait, I did this joke of the opposite. The red-eyed stewardess. Never mind. Yeah, but I'm specifying geography. So you, oh, you're going. It has to be Australia. The other that, side of the world. The yeah, coast. Yeah, yeah. It has to walk on the bottom of the ocean to get you. Uh, but I liked that ending, though. Like at the time when I'm the first time, I'm like, "What? This is a very Marlene kind of ending," which I also liked, but still for a horror movie. Kelly Wand, but then I. What's the name of the movie you just referenced? Give us the name. This Mary, is a, we have to check in every now and then see if Kelly Wand has remembered the name of this movie. What is it, Kelly Wand? Mary Martha May Marlene. Not even close. Fuck. Martha Marcy May Marlene. Martha Marcy. But this uh, whole movie is a meat cue. It turns out the way Evil Dead Two is a comic book origin story. Like it's they. Well, let's talk about the ending. Uh, so uh, Kelly, Wand, you said it at first you weren't crazy about it, but after some reflection, uh, you you liked it more. Uh, what do you mean by that? What was your problem with it, and how did you reconcile yourself to the ending? Um, I guess I thought that after the swimming pool shenanigans mm-hmm. I mean something I liked about the movie a lot was I wasn't really sure what was going to happen next like it felt really unpredictable mm-hmm. um, and I did like that they all sort of like stuck by her for the most part throughout the movie like so I thought maybe it was going to be I don't know like they'd kind of head to the future like decades from now and they're like still they're still taunting the ghost okay their walkers but no i like the i like the ending as like a as a meet cute because at the end they're kind of like yeah okay so i got a buddy now it's cool you make it sound uh very very charming like a romantic comedy almost (laughs) it's like a gary marshall kind of ending if gary marshall had done a meet cute a romantic comedy horror movie okay if he'd he'd been in life after beth or if he'd ever done a movie oh Tom, you gonna take that from him? That your favorite Marshall? Uh, did you like the ending? Did I? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I think the ending was uh, earned. 
uh, earned and inevitable. I mean, I don't think there's any other way you could end this movie, uh, at least as far as, again, if we're, if we're talking about the metaphor, you know, inevitability of death, um, you, you can't you can't defeat death. This isn't... And, and the, the other option, and I, I was a little worried that this might happen, uh, although I'd built up so much trust in the director by this point, I didn't think he was going to do this to us, that it would be some kind of... Um, like, like the typical horror movie where they scheme the plot to kill the monster and then they kill it, but then there's a gotcha at the end and you realize, oh, nope, the monster's still going. Um, you know, there was none of that. There was no... Yeah. No, you know, it, what our friend that we saw it with, Tony, said, you know, why did they even bother with this when they saw that shooting it in the head didn't stop it and they're still doing this other stuff? But, but I think that's part of the point of the movie is you've got to desperately flail against the, this, this undefeatable thing. You know, you've, you've got to at least try. Um, and they did, and, and it was kind of cute in this, you know, you've made all these Scooby-Doo references, but there was this kind of cute Scooby-Doo quality. It's very quaint and charming that, oh, you know, you're going to try to electrocute a ghost. You know, you think yeah. that's going to work. Okay. Uh, and it, it ultimately fails. So if this is a movie about, you know, a ghost that's vulnerable to electricity, yeah, I would be upset with the ending. But no, this is a movie, this is a metaphor about death and inevitability. Um, and that it can't end any other way as these two characters resigning themselves to their fate. Yeah. Or, and the group stays together. Like, the, a lot of the group lives. Like, right, I did like, too. It's definitely not a slasher movie, is it? Yeah. yeah it's no like, Final Destination is mostly about them all sort of being at odds with each other. Right, like, there's none of the things where somebody has to convince all the other group members that she's not crazy and this is really right. happening. You know, we, we we dispense with that pretty quickly, don't we? Yeah, they totally believe. Yeah, it's and so it sort of it sort of makes the characters a little more. Flush. Yeah, uh, Dingus, how were you with the ending? Uh, I loved it. I I kind of did. I you know, as I was trying to, there's a, there's a couple branches I go on this. Uh, one of the branches is that um, there's. There's this thing that I kept feeling as I was watching the movie is is this this behavioral modification theory about uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry in, in, there's like intermittent reinforcement scheduling it's it's like you're you're um, you you're you're gonna reinforce you're going to give a, a, a positive reinforcement for n some, but not all correct responses. Um, so when w those things I was saying earlier about the way the camera moves, uh, sometimes it's going to reinforce my tension about that. And sometimes it's not going to reinforce my tension about that. And I love the ending just based on that, that level of, of the way this, this movie understands how it reinforces the behavior it is expecting of me. I mean, I, I love that about the ending. And also I love the, the, that inevitability, although I, I kind of disagree. I, I, I don't want it to be about the inevitability of death because as I was interpreting the movie, I think it's more about the inevitability about love. I think, I think this movie is more about love than death. Well, yeah. they're related. I kind of I would disagree in that um, that you know she is not in love with Paul. I mean Paul's in love with her, and it, it's right. not. Yeah. And and, and it, to me the structure that's being set up here is that you, you're young and you're obliviously blissful, and you discover sexuality, and sexuality goes hand in hand with the awareness of death and mortality. You know that's that's the biology of it, isn't it? Is is we have sex to transcend our own death. 
um, as a species, you know, biologically. Um, but then there's also the psychological element of, you know, once you discover the attachment of, of being in love, of loved ones, of, of, of a family, um, you know, the things that come with people coupling, uh, you, be, you, you acquire a unique fear of death. Um, so, so for me, the, the chart that's being coursed here isn't, you know, hey, love defeats death. It's, hey, we're going to hook up with someone. We're going to realize that we die. And then eventually we're going to resign ourselves to grimly <laughs> holding hands with whomever we ended up with. And we're going to be so accepting of death that we don't even look over our shoulders anymore. Um, well, which I, I, yeah, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's love defeats death. I think it's the, I think it's the 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 way the the past the past loves come back to whether it be your mother or whether it be uh, some your first love, your first kiss, whatever it is, that love your your past love will inevitably march toward you. It, it's this weird fear of. Of falling in love and and the way love uh, works for and against you. I mean, I mean, his mother kills him. And I mean, Greg, I'm talking about Greg in particular. And and I'm talking and Hugh talking about sometimes it will show you, it will appear as somebody you love just to make you hurt more. Um, so I, I think there's more of an element of love and and not I, for me anyway. It, it wasn't just just the inevitability of death right uh i i think that appearing as as mothers and stuff um not only is it the arbitrariness of death but i think that to me that says more to me about the cruelty of it um and and uh yeah 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 you're right uh so one of the things that i've i've said before and dingus you and i talked a little bit about this is anytime in a movie that a professor is giving a lecture or a character is reading a book or a piece of uh, poetry. You know, the director or writer goes to the trouble to specify a piece of poetry that's going to be read. Uh, there's a reason for it. And you can often use that as a starting point to sort of suss out, you know, what is the director trying to get at? Um, there's, there's that great school scene where she's zoning out in school and her teacher is reading the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Uh, and it goes through a nice long passage of it because again this is a great example of the movie taking its time and you know dingus you talking about the movie making you look at certain things not letting you look at other things uh, the teacher is just going through the poem and you know she she is seeing that old lady walking towards the classroom and and it becomes increasingly like weird um but if you follow the poem you know the moment that uh, and there's so much, you know, Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock is so notoriously dense in a good way. But I, I think an important clue is where it cuts off. Like the point of the po of the T.S. Eliot poem that the director wanted us to reach. And that point is, I have seen the eternal footman hold my coat and snicker. And in short, I was afraid. And I think what we're getting at there is this idea that there's this malevolent thing just, just toying with them kind of like laughing at them uh and it's just completely irreverent um you know this this snickering eternal footman uh i love that yeah. idea of it and that that's why it appears and it's not even just greg's mother it's it's greg's mother with her breast exposed you know that's that's just that's just like wrong and weird there's, there's a great moment in um what's that tsunami movie with naomi watts is it called the impossible the hereafter 
Wait. No, that's that. That's the. That's another. Okay, that's, that's that's the terrible Clint Eastwood. One. Yeah, there, there's. I think it's called The Impossible, and it's uh, it's Ewan McGregor and Naomi Watts. Is it Ewan McGregor? But it, it's Naomi Watts and and a, and a young actor named Tom Holland, um, who are the main part of it. And the tsunami hits them, and the movie is eventually about how. Uh, you know, hey, white families can get away. You know, they can be reunited and everything's fine. They'll live through this tsunami. Uh, it's it's a little bit offensive, actually. But the tsunami stuff is really, like, as far as disaster movies go, is really thrilling stuff. And there's a weird moment in it um, where Naomi Watts and her children have been swept away by the tsunami. Uh, and after, after they escape from it... <clears throat> There's this weird moment where uh, Naomi Watts has been swept away, away by the tsunami, and she finds her son, played by Tom Holland, and her clothes have been ripped off. And they're both very, like, weird and uneasy and embarrassed by it. You know, here's this terrible thing where maybe the rest of their family is dead, uh, devastation all the way around them, and they're uncomfortable about the fact that, you know, a child's in front of his mother and her, her shirt has been ripped off. Yeah. Um, and that's such a weird, cruel touch that this apparition does to Greg when he appears as the mother. Um, but yeah, not to discount what you're saying, Dingus, but I, I do think that there's, a, there's an element of cruelty there. Um, no, I agree. I, I love that he... that there, there, I love that whole sequence where she's just pounding on the door. And, and, and at first I thought it was part of the soundtrack. And then you look and you see it's, just, it's her pounding on the door. And he's like, what the fuck, Mom? And he opens, he opens the door. And then there's this weird supernatural jump um, it also it's fucks so weird, us. but the the jail for proof rock. One of the elements I loved about that is that her that everybody constantly refers to her as Jay, <laughs> and every yeah. time I think about it's jail for proof rock, and there's this girl sitting there named Jay. I know that I don't think those things are supposed to link, but for me they do. <laughs> I, that's, no, that's, I would buy that thing. It's, I, yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily an accident. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that poem so much, even though – and I told you this the other day when we were talking about this. You know, Woody Allen kind of ruined it for me. I mean I, I, this has long been one of my two favorite poems. Um, uh, and Woody Allen kind of ruined it for me when I finally saw Love and Death because he makes a joke about it in that movie. Um, but uh, hearing – that that woman and she she reads it so beautifully. Uh, read it as the as the scene is building tension and this movie builds tension so well. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I'm 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 so curious about uh, you know I I love that you brought this up because I'm even more curious about why in the world are we talking about the idiot in this movie? First of all, Dingus, you can't very well reference your two favorite poems without telling us the other one. Uh, the other one is the the one every you know freshman girl loves. Uh, including me, which would be, you know, uh, uh, the E.E. E. Cummings poem. Uh, Not even the rain has such small hands. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so the idiot, I don't, I don't know the idiot. Kelly, Wand, have you read the idiot? No, I don't see movies about like substandard intelligence. <laughs> Do you read books about substandard intelligence? Yeah, the book's amazing. So you have read the idiot? No. Oh, I just heard it. So I don't understand. It's up to the title. I don't understand either, Dingus, why they're specifically referencing the idiot, because I don't know it. But I do know um, a, a novel that I will perennially read maybe every uh, five, ten years or whatever that meant a lot to me when I was younger is written by a, uh, a Catholic existentialist named Walker Percy. Um, and he wrote a novel called The Last Gentleman, um, 
which a lot of the stuff when I was younger I really resonated with. It's about a, a dislocated southerner who lives on the East Coast, and he goes back home, and it's about his relationship. Uh, you know, he falls in love with a girl there and takes up with a rich family. Um, takes me back. But uh, it, I, and I didn't know this until I'd read the book several times. It's apparently uh, not a remake. What do you call it when it's a book? Um, it's apparently Ad- a adaptation. Ash. Uh, maybe homage, but it's apparently an homage, or it's it's like a retelling of Dostoevsky's *The Idiot*. So I have read a book based on *The Idiot*, but I have not read *The Idiot* itself, yeah. and I don't really see in in the plot what why this would be a part of the movie. But Dostoevsky is a, is a very um, like he's known also as a Christian existentialist, and what that sort of means is that you know existentialism existentialism is this idea that the fact that we will die kind of defines our existence and and Uh how do you how do you cope with that and when you couple it with the sort of faith that walker percy and dostoevsky had um it it becomes this idea that you know our lives are almost a form of punishment you know that that uh you know we're 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 answering for our sins by going through the hell of living and, and impending death and all of that sort of thing uh so again, I, I think that also points to this idea that what the movie is getting at is the inevitability of death and, and hell on earth and, and, and punishment uh, as well. And I suspect th- those are that's part of what's going on in The Idiot. And it's certainly the, the quote that the girl reads from her little e-clamshell at the end uh, about torment and knowing that you're going to die. Uh, I presume that was from The Idiot as well. We really... Now that you bring that up, I for, totally forgot the clamshell. Um, w- when is this movie set? Yeah, they said outside time at the screen. Yeah, I love that about it. There's a world out of time quality to the whole like production design, isn't there? Yeah. There's modern stuff, but old-timey stuff. Well, how do you feel about that? How do you feel the, how, how do you feel about him adds, setting the movie outside time, whatever that means? It to the dreamlike quality, because there are other aspects that are like, there's no parents, and like... The kids well, have jobs. It's like kind of. I love that you said that. Let, let me just let me just do a little sidebar here. Uh, this this no parents thing because because this director has done uh, at least one other movie. The only other movie of his I've seen is is called The Myth of the American Sleepover, and it's this weird like right before we go back to school, all of these these different groups of kids are having sleepovers but it's it's very much filmed like the way this is but without the horror element to it and uh and it has a lot of the same qualities that in his filming without the music but with some of the the slow camera work and whatnot but there's no parents anywhere <laughs> and that's what's that was that is what is so weird about uh it follows is is whenever you see the mother, she seems to just be passed out on the bed, and or there's just like a dad in the background, or like a naked dude on the roof. I mean, there's no parents anywhere. What well, the, the hell? Chick beach, the chick on the beach calls her. Parents, yeah, we see her father in the first scene. Well, we see her father in the first scene too. He comes out of the house. Right? Yeah. Wait, yeah. you did see? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We saw a clip online. There's a uh, the New York Times will do these uh, a series called Anatomy of a Scene where they'll have the director sort of talk about one particular scene. And fortunately for us, uh, David Mitchell, wait, Robert David Mitchell? David Robert Mitchell. Did I get it right? I think so. David Robert Mitchell talks about the first scene. So that's online at the New York Times. 
uh, you can see the first scene and you can hear him talk about it. So you do see her father comes out. And we do see Jay's parents at least once, well, yeah. don't we? But yeah. then she she ignores she's all he's all what's wrong, honey, or something and she she doesn't really answer him. Like, you can't help me. Like and that's kinda like Right. Like make his parents are really not. Well, that's a very John Hughes approach to like stories about younger people, isn't it? Is uh, yeah, the parents they're just on the sideline. Uh, yeah, but, but I, I like it. But I do love this this idea of it being out of time. Yeah, you know, and there no are cell family. phones, no internet or social media, mostly old cars. All TV is public domain. That that fictional playpen, uh, porno magazines, and even just porno magazines. Yeah, you know that's, that's yeah, and in the in that earlier movie I was talking about, he had porno magazines too. So he's he's got a kind of got to think about that, I think. But I love that we have magazines in this movie. Here's something that drove me crazy. If I if I can uh, maybe throw a little sort of dingus style temper tantrum about something that bothered me, uh, <laughs> I did not like how Mako Monroe's tattoos fixed her as, as a contemporary girl. You know, it, look. If, if, you, if you're going to be an actor and you get tattoos, that's fine. Get your dang tattoos. But when you're in a movie, put makeup on your tattoos. Because the tattoos identify the actor as opposed to the character. So, make them in a row, whatever's written on your arm, put makeup on that. Put makeup on that little X on your ring finger. Nobody wants to see that. That's you, that is not your character. You know, Tom Hardy, for instance, that dude is tatted up like crazy. It's insane. You know, he has his agent's name tattooed on his left arm for Pete's sake. What? Yeah, t- Tom Hardy's got like an old girlfriend's name on his on, on his side. He's got all this. Why like, is a, agent? A big because uh, he's indebted to her. You know, she's done a great job with his career, so he gets his agent. <laughs> but the point is, she has to cast him though based on the tattoo. Uh, she doesn't. No, no. She. Well, the the point is, oh. you don't see those in movies. He covers them up with makeup. So there's my little rant. If you're gonna be an actor, and you're gonna get tattoos. Cover them up when you're in a dang movie, for Pete's sake. Or they decided that it did fit the character in the sense. No, I thought the movie. The I thought the movie was specifically showing us that X tattoo and the tattoo in her wrist. I know, because she's really got one. You know, that's that's Maker Monroe. Is got. If but you that look character. At of her, have right. we seen those? Have we seen those elsewhere? Because I thought that the the movie yeah. was was pointing our focus to that X tattoo. I think we just didn't have a choice because it's like splashed out on her dang finger there. I oh, like tattoos. Right. I mean, it's fine, but it, I'm just saying the tattoo identifies the actor, not the character. If your if your character uh, needs right. to have tattoos, the makeup department can do it. What about when Barb Wire, like Pam Anderson, got it for the part? That's now that's dedication. That's like Robert De Niro putting on weight for Raging Bull, and I applaud Pamela Anderson for doing that. Good for her. I just pretend it's the same character. Like this is the same thing. That's one way to do it. Uh, and I did love, I you know, as far as worlds out of time. Man, Detroit is a great is a great choice for that sort yeah. of. Thing. Oh man, I'm oh, yeah. glad I'm glad we didn't get away with. Was there a class warfare stuff. theme oh. or anything? Why do you say a class? Not that I identify. Because they drive like, past a bunch of slums. Well, that's Detroit for you, Kelly Wand. Yeah. But is that like it, the monsters not, clearing out? Like it's not, it's <laughs> not class warfare. It's it's Detroit. Detroit. I mean, Detroit is a, sing, is a singular city. I mean, yeah. it's a city that's dying. I mean, and that's why I. I mean, so that's that, why it's so amazing that that they said it here. I'm so glad you brought it up. I forgot about this. I mean, Detroit is dying and being reclaimed by the earth in some ways. Um, and and they talk about Eight Mile the the when they're walking down the street. They're like uh, you know, Mom said I could never go past Eight Mile. Um, I mean, this is very clearly a Detroit movie. Yeah, 
And I, th- I think David Robert Mitchell is from Detroit. Cause yeah. Because isn't Myth of the American Sleepover set in Detroit? Or do you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, See, Sam uh, Raimi was all Detroit, too. What was? Sam Raimi was a Detroit guy. Yeah, but I've never... Has Sam Raimi ever made a Detroit movie, though? No, but if you yeah. watch Evil Dead, you just go, oh, these characters but, are all from Detroit. But Detroit is a different place now than when Sam Raimi was making the No, movies. I know. I mean, just saying, it, just, it turns out interesting horror. Detroit is a... I mean, it's like it's like this it's like this corpse that's decaying, and I don't mean to say that like Detroit is dead and it's a corpse, but but if you think of it as a forensic psychologist, this this is we are looking at this movie. This movie shows us Detroit at this specific point, as if as if you were a forensic psychologist or a forensic pathologist looking at a corpse and looking at what the bugs are doing right now. I mean, this this movie shows Detroit where it is right now. Um, I mean, that thing where they go into the what you call the insane asylum with a pool, which I think is a great way to describe it. I mean, it really shows Detroit where it is right now, and and it's just so frightening and amazing to me that we have an American city that is decaying and dying, but people still – it still has a vibrancy to it. Uh, I, I mean I love that fact. I love the way this movie brings Detroit – I mean one of the things that we talked about when we talked about Nightcrawler was how Los Angeles was a character in this movie. And I think Detroit – is a really important part of this movie. And it's just that I don't have any actual experience with Detroit, so I don't know it. Um, but looking at the way these characters deal with the different parts of Detroit, when they go into the, when the pool, into the pool and it's just understanding like just from stupid things like cooking shows or whatever I've you know, travel shows I've seen. It, I mean, Detroit is, is is a frightening and beautiful place. Well, you know, Dingus, and, what other movie we saw where Detroit was a notable character? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, what? We didn't care for it. Uh, but uh, in Only Lovers Left Alive, that vampire movie that Jim Jarmusch... Oh, you're right, you're right. Damn, you're right. There's this sense of, you know, vampires are, have, have come to the end of the earth and their time is maybe waning and then they're stuck in Detroit. But there were awesome scenes of, of Tom Hiddleston driving around in that old, was it a Jaguar? Uh, just in this, oh, this bombed-out-looking neighborhoods in Detroit. You know, if the movie had been strictly that, I would have liked it much more. Um, oh, Tom, that's so that's such a great connection. Fuck. Uh, and, of great. course, of course, Curtis Hansen's 8 Mile. You know, that Eminem movie is a, is a great portrait of Detroit as well. Dr. Uh, Detroit is, too. It definitely... Uh, your, the Curtis Hansen point is, is, is true, because when they're walking down the street and she's like, we can never go past 8 Mile, all I could think about was... Yeah. A mile, you know. Uh, the uh, so the other another movie that Radius is distributing right now that I referenced earlier is called Monsters: Dark Continent. It's the sequel to Monsters. Uh, opens in Detroit and has some amazing like Detroit photography. And uh, I didn't care for the movie that much, but what what it ends up doing is comparing Detroit to this fictional. It's basically a stand-in for Iraq and Afghanistan to a, a bombed-out Middle Eastern city. Um, oh. But some great Detroit photography in Monsters Dark Continent. Um, and yeah, and it just fits in really well with this world out of time quality. You know, here's yeah. here's a slice of the world that's like dreamlike and almost surreal. Um, and here's the story we're going to tell in it. Yeah. The way Haddonfield showed us how Halloween is in Illinois. Well, very good, Kelly Wan, because I exactly think, you know, that this whole idea of making mundane stuff look menacing... That goes back to the way John John Carpenter shot all that stuff in Halloween, doesn't it? Yeah. Although he shot it here, didn't he? 
Oh my god, are you serious? Halloween was shot in L.A.? Can't you just kind of tell? Ew, gross. That's aw- I, you know what? I think I was probably too young and dumb when I saw Halloween to know that. So don't burst my bubble. I don't want to know that, Kelly Wand. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, okay. I learned a lot about relationships from uh, It Follows. Did you? Like, what did what did It Follows teach you about relationships, Kelly Wand? Well, the upside of blood is it's a good lubricant. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between. Counting uh. one, two, three, feet apart, not free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves more fun. Man, that was worth the setup. Thanks, Kelly Wand. Well, I didn't think you were going to do it. I got nervous. I jumped the gut. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a, a, a 3 by 3 this week. What we do have... We'll have a 3x3 three three next week, so stick around to the end of the podcast because we want your picks for the 3x3. Three three. But what do we have this week instead? Is this Kelly's or Dingus's? I think this is Ding- Kelly's, right? No, Kelly? this is Kelly's. You know, what we would do... Uh, first of all, I mean, we haven't said anything about the fact that you're back, and I think we should say at least something. Welcome right. fucking back, Tom. Yeah, God back. damn it. Yeah. Um, um, I wanted to say that earlier, but I could never quite wedge it in. Uh it is such a fucking relief to have you back, and I'm so glad that you decided to come back on this particular movie because um, this is the movie that is going to start my list for the year, you know, my, my list document. And so welcome fucking back, Tom. Thank you. Uh, you know, I guess if you're, if you're listening, I don't know if you're a regular listener, but uh, I, I was diagnosed with a health issue. I had throat cancer um, back in November and uh, basically had to stop doing the podcast because it was going to be difficult on my voice, the treatment. Um, at this point, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm still got some recovery to do. Uh, they have to keep a close eye on me to see if it comes back. But at this point, I'm I'm free of cancer, and I'm glad to be back. And uh, part of my reservations were, you know, my voice is a struggle, and I know how difficult it can be to listen, like when a speaker has laryngitis or something, and how painful it can be to have to listen to that. So uh, for those of you listening, bear with me. I know it's probably a little painful for you to hear me. Um, but hopefully it'll get better over time. Uh, and yeah, and I'm glad to be back. And good Lord, I'm so, you know, I love what you guys are doing with the mini movie club. Ugh. But it was a lot of homework making people watch two movies a week. I know. Uh, you, absolutely. So we're now done with that. We're going to go back to three by threes. But before we're done with that, Kelly Wan, what, my God, what have you subjected us to? I went out on a, on a high note. Literally. Well, first of all, you you got us to see this movie based on the movie we saw last week, which is this which weird leapfrogging thing that we were doing. So, because of Chappie, you just you decided we should watch Westworld. Oh Chappie 1.0, bitches. Why, Kelly Wand? Ugh. Because there's no good robot movies. They all suck. Name a better one. Silent Terminator. Robot. Robocop. Terminator. Terminator's Robo- not a robot movie. He's a cybernetic organism. Fast oh, forward. Blade Runner. It, fo- it follows. Oh. Just constantly made me think of Terminator more than Chappie did. I mean, cause seriously, why did you want people to watch Westworld? I thought Westworld was wretched. And I'm going to go out. I'm going to oh. just lay my cards on the table right now. I, I kind of was- did too. And then Dingus was like, no, bro. Let's go in. Yeah. He got me all excited about it. He trolled me. Well, Dingus but is it- just being supportive. I mean, you're the one that has to. You have to be accountable for your own pick, Kelly Wand. You know what, though? I yes. liked it better than... Murder by Death and Real Men. Like, it's not the worst pick. Well, Here's okay. the thing. I, it always It's supposed to reflect on the movie we saw that week. Wait a minute. Oh, my God. We didn't do over-unders. I loved that feature. Oh, my. Back up. Back up. Pretend you haven't heard the Britney Spears. 
Do we do it later or now? I forget. No, let's do over unders for it follows. I love that feature, and I never have. I've never gotten to do it. <laughs> Did we do it before? Never mind. All right. No, I never got to do it. It was something that came. Yeah, over under is good. Yeah, over is the one good thing. So real quick, table to talk on Westworld. <laughs> it came uh, out of. Who wants to go first? Dingus, what's your over and under on on uh, it follows and and why? Oh my God! I didn't know we were going to do this. Ah, you uh, haven't. Well, do you want to go last, or do you want to just opt out this week? Uh, uh, no, I will not opt out. I mean, I, I have a clear over. Um, I, I love it. Follows everything's under. What? There's, what? There's a lot of unders. There's a lot of unders for it follows. There's well, one a lot of the things that I love about the feature, and I don't know that you guys were doing it this way, but you were doing it right. You weren't doing it right. Let me explain to you how you're supposed to do your over and unders. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> is you, you want to try to bracket it as closely as possible. Like, yeah, there's a lot of unders, but how can you nudge one up that's just a little bit worse, and how can you find a movie that's just a little bit better? Well, it depends on the movie. It's a case-by-case thing. Right, of course, exactly. So that's kind of It's tons of overs or tons of unders. But that's the challenge for me, is how how well can you bracket the movie? It's like calling in artillery fire. You know, how narrow a field can you make with your over and under? Splash damage. So as as closely as I can bracket the over, I, and I would have to start with an over. Is the is your next? I mean, yeah, I I I fucking what? love your next so much. Different uh, movie, type. Well, but yeah, it, but it is wants, a different movie. Is, You're right. It yeah, is, is, is exactly you, a different movie. Different movies are not allowed. No, different movies are fine. But thing is, what is the relationship? <laughs> like, why would you pick your next in relation to it follows? All right, there's. This is going to be sort of silly to to say to you, um, but uh, watching um, watching David Mitchell, I forget his name. I apologize. Robert David Mitchell. Uh, Thank Bust you, down. Robert David Mitchell's previous movie, The Myth of the American Summer, or the uh, The Myth of the American Sleepover. Uh, Amy Simons appears in in that movie in this weird little small role, but very very sexy and then it, she made me think of your next and um i just started thinking about how much i loved your next and how it scared me and how it made me think about horror movies and how this movie makes me not only feel about horror movies but think about horror movies mm-hmm. so uh but i mean your next appeared right. on my top 10 list so uh, this movie might very well do the same See, can uh, I want? he can tie it in yeah that's good one. I'm dumb. And by the way, I'm dumb because it is David Robert Mitchell, not Robert David Mitchell. All right, David. Okay, fine. All right, yeah. so that's your over, Dingus. What is your under and why? Um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to be really crappy and say the guest. <laughs> no, I'm uh, Here we go. You hear this, top? I would say this is better than the guest. I think this is better than the guest. Yes. Apples. Yes. Because I think that this movie is doing a lot of things um, about 70s horror, and we didn't talk about the music, which reminds me a lot of just like this weird John Carpenter, like a like Halloween, like do 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 kind of stuff that it does. Um, and I think that this movie uh, doesn't quite get there. But I, I mean, I I, I think that uh, I. I mean, this movie. By by this movie, I mean uh, uh, the guest. Right. The guest. Uh, the guest missed it for me. The guest. The guest was trying to go for that, uh, or no, not go for that, but going for an '80s thing and going right. for like Terminator and weird sort of like and and it it just sort of overshot its mark. And I think this movie hits the target right on. Well, Dingus, what uh, I would. It, Dude, I Go just want to – because for me, what I loved about the music in It Follows is it's part of the overall – the movie's soundscape. Yeah. You yeah. know, and the way that – at times it is so incredibly overbearing, but that that's like intentional. Um, 
It's not like where uh, David Robert Mitchell just loved these horror movies from the 80s, and he hired some guy, and he said, hey, give me a cool synth soundtrack, which is what the guest did, and it worked. It was fine. But here, it really felt like the music was a, was a thoroughly integrated part of the movie's soundscape. Yeah. It's impossible but, to picture the movie without it yeah. for me. But it is it's not it's not just that. It's that that the actual things that are happening in the sound and I and I mentioned this early on, the sound of the movie I think might be part of the soundtrack and I'm not sure which is which. And I love that. I mean there's this there's this extended sequence when she's in the hospital bed and there's just like footsteps, 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 footsteps and, right. and like what is going on? And then there's that pounding on the door when the mom's pa- – until she looks at the mom pounding on the door, is is that part of the soundtrack or not? And I like how this it's this seamless integration. Yeah. There's a, uh, a Nicholas Winding Refn movie called oh, Dead Gummit with John Turturro where he's a security guard. Kelly Wan, do you know this movie? You might – Headhunters. No, Dead Gummit. What is it called? Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's a really obscure early Nicholas Winding Refn movie, uh, it, and it's before. It might have predated the Pusher trilogy, but uh, no, no, because it's one of the first movies he did in America. But there's a scene where two characters are talking, and in the background, there's this steady beat that that might be like the music, like what is going on. It's like somebody's just pounding a wall rhythmically, and these characters are having a conversation. Uh, we've just met them. We're not sure what's going on with them. And one of them finally says, uh, so-and-so, would you cut it out? And we go, we pan over, and we see there was a little kid in a high chair who was just kicking uh, a counter. <laughs> um, and it, it, but it, the thing is, it's like this weird, it's an unsettling movie. It's kind of a horror movie. Uh, and it, it's, you know, is that music? Is that a noise? And we discover, oh, it's a little kid kicking the counter. Um, so that, that like made birth. me think of that. What the heck is that movie called? Kelly Wan, why do you not know this movie? Joshua. No. That kid kicked stuff. All right, well, I'm going to cheat and look it up on IMDb while Lost Kelly Wand. You give us your under and over. Uh, my over... See, I was going to go with Juwan and The Grudge, because that was like the first horror movie where I went, oh, wait, this you can be scary in ways that... Like, the horror can come from anywhere. Like, if you're at dinner in the day, like, it fucked with that kind of thing. But I... I don't think it's a good over because it kind of explains what the grudge is based on and it winds up kind of being as arbitrary as anything. So my over is Nightmare on Elm Street because it kind of reminds me of like the kids kind of thing. So you like Nightmare on Elm Street better? Well... That's what it means when you pick it as your over. (laughs) I definitely don't like the grudge more, although I used to. Well, what's your under? What's one that you don't like as much? My under is... Remember that fucking movie... uh, the apparition with Barbara Hershey? No, no, no. the entity. It's the one where the chicks are the Ted at the end. It's in the trailer. The oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That I told you about. Yeah, the uh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. In a Costco. No. Nothing scary. It's trying to do shit that should be scary, and somehow it's not. All right. Well, my uh, over under. I'm glad to finally get to do this because I've enjoyed listening to you guys do overs and unders. Uh, it's a great game. Um. <laughs> if you look at this as a movie yeah. about the inevitability of death, I would say my under is Final Destination. And mainly as a whole series, but specifically if you want to pick out the best Final Destination, I think everyone knows it's Final Destination 2. With the, Wait, is that That's, the one with the car wreck or is that 3? 2 has the traffic accident yeah. car wreck. Yeah, so 2 is clearly the best Final Destination. So, I would put this a notch above, as far as movies about the inevitability of death, a notch above Final Destination 2. 
-hmm. Now, as far as the over, you don't accept you're you're refusing my choice, Kelly Wand? It wasn't as scary. The first one was scary to me. Final Destination? Yeah. Those movies aren't scary. They're tense. They're like, oh, how is is this guy going to die? There's nothing scary about Final Destination. Please. You think a plane crash is scarier than a freeway accident? No, the the deaths in Final Destination, the first one, were creepy. That kid in the bathroom? That's fucked up. Mm, no, I still think it's 2 has a beat. Kelly Wan, everybody knows that 2 is the best Final Destination. And it's got the bus. That's iconic. Now it's been ripped off. Final Destination 2 has the best Yeah, sequence. and it's been done so much better in other things, too. Since? Wait. So clearly what? 2 is the be- is the Final Destination with the most staying power. They just seem the most freaked out in the first one, and then in the other ones, they act like the, the other movies never happened. Well, because they're playing on... No, they don't. Because they get go- well, that's the whole point of two, is they go back and they talk to one of the surviving characters. Two totally ties into one. Eh, two's weak, dude. I think you're misremembering. There's nothing good in it. In two, the freeway accident is awesome. That's it. That's the only good part. Nope, the girl's stabbed through the pipe, impaled on the pipe that the gas comes through. Yeah, that part's good. The little kid smashed by the glass after the dentist visit. The characters ca- Oh, that one's terrible. Nope, that one's awesome. They redo the dentist later. It five. Hey, I'm not the one so, who's sitting on this podcast saying Nightmare on Elm Street is better than It Follows. Yeah, but you're saying Final Destination 1 is weaker than... Um, I am, than 2. <laughs> yep, that's right. right. That's uh, as far as unders, uh, if we look at It Follows as a movie about the inevitability of death, uh, I would put, and I don't think I bracketed it very tightly, because this movie is far, far superior to It Follows, partly because this isn't a genre movie, but I would put... The Fountain uh, as my over. <laughs> in that all three of the storylines in The Fountain are about someone trying and failing to, to transcend death. And I think that's also what It Follows is about. So that's my over on Okay, now I'm really upset you're back. Well, there you go. you got to deal with it. <laughs> Dingus! You know what else, Kelly Wan? It's an under! Kelly Wan, you know what else? Our way over. Kelly Wan, you know what else? Dwayne Johnson, Johnson is a better actor than Harrison Ford. Welcome is back. Dwayne Johnson, a better actor than the peeing mom. Is. I'll tell you one thing, Kelly Wand. On this podcast, I'm never going to make you watch a movie as bad as Westworld. That's not true. You made me watch uh, VHS Viral. Wait, I like that one. Bad example. So Okay, so you, you said you Tentacles. wanted us to watch Related Westworld. Up. You wanted us to watch Westworld because you couldn't Chappie. think of good movies about robots. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's not a good movie. You know what, though? It starts out kind of good. Westworld does? Westworld, yeah, it's good up to a point, and okay. then it kind of takes two. Then it kind of slows down. Okay, well, keep telling me. What are other good things about Westworld? Uh, I like movies that are relics, and I think it's a really good period piece mm-hmm. in that it's about two dudes, one with a mustache, but they're both straight. But, like, there's no women in the movie, you know, like, no women characters, really. So it's kind of like, it's like a time of, it's 1973, where it's basically a brothel of robots, isn't that? Isn't that why they're really there? They're not really there to like get in fistfights. They're there to like have sex with medieval serving wenches. And so it, it kind of takes me back to a more innocent time when robot women were more predatory. Hmm, okay. Like it's just a better time to be alive, or or to simulate life. All right, and so therefore we had to watch Westworld. Dingus, how did you feel about having to watch Westworld? Oh, wait a minute. You're the one who says that it's reprehensible. So you, I didn't say reprehensible. You... I said wretched. Oh, wretched. I'm sorry, yeah, wretched. Yeah. Why, why do it you hate it so much? 
Why is it so wretched? Uh, let's see. Because uh, Richard Benjamin is terrible. Michael Crichton can't direct to save his life. Uh, <laughs> it has plotting pacing. The sets look cheap. The production values look cheap. Uh, every now and then there's some weird out-of-place broad slapstick humor. Um, it It's poorly, you know, the the, expo- the, the, the actual world building, I think, is terrible. Um, I like Hugh Brenner. It's the worst of 70s. It's that, that kind of thing is the worst of 70s filmmaking. Barely. You know, not even a step above those crappy Irwin Allen disaster movies. Well, it only has you keep track of two people instead of like a Shelley Winters character who's in the Roman world. That's the thing. You don't get to see the other worlds. Right. If you don't want, if you don't want, Kelly Wan, if you don't want characters in your disaster movie, Westworld is the movie for you. I disagree with you on Richard Benjamin. I think he's good in it. Because he's a very un- he's the unlikely hero. He's like Kurt Russell with a mustache. I just thought he was terrible as an actor. And part of my problem too is uh, I know Richard Benjamin as, as a kid. I had to look up the name of this, but there was a Buck Henry uh, uh, sitcom called Quark, where Richard yeah, Benjamin Quark. It's like a, it's like a spaceship <laughs> captain, and it's, it's great. This, it's this deadpan humor stuff, and I loved him when I was a kid remember in that series. Remember Ficus? Remember the? Dog I remember very little of it specifically. Ah. I just remember being very fond of Richard Benjamin as a kid. And so here I am watching Westworld, and he's just, he has no idea what he's doing. There's scenes where he's supposed to react to something. It's the same look on his face every freaking time. Um, He's better in Love at First Bite. Did you ever see that movie? Oh, George Hamilton's Dracula, and he's like... And they're kind of fighting over it, like kind of a flaky chick. But he's her analyst and fuck buddy, kind of. I don't know. No, I might have seen It's very 70s, like... He's like a 70s looking dude. It's just like you'll never see a movie with a guy like Richard Benjamin's character as the hero of a movie like Westworld. And Westworld is to Jurassic Park what Dark Star was to Alien. No, good lord. It's the comedy version of Jurassic Park with brawls. Like if Jurassic Park had had a tavern brawl with the dinosaurs. That tavern brawl has a, and, and Biggs and I both remarked on this, has a Sam cuckoo Neal. clock sound effect for no good reason, just out of the blue. Richard Benjamin's like Sam Neill crossed with Jeff Goldblum. If you if you like morning if you like morning radio, Westworld is the movie for you. What? Drive time radio with sound effects? Yeah. Wait, what's the sound effect with the robot explodes? No, it's like a cuckoo clock, just like cuckoo, like when somebody gets hit, like to show yeah, that they're brawl. Yeah. Well, I thought the robots were making those noises to like add to the. Uh, no, no, that was that was the filmmaker doing that. Yeah, and and you and actually, and this is going to I think annoy you, Tom, uh, but we have a, a listener who was talking about this particular movie this week, and um, what what this movie made me think of, and this is really going to be weird, and I apologize. <laughs> In advance, but uh, watching Westworld made me think of funny games. <laughs> and I think I'm all ears. I, I think this is a a, and I think Tom's right that uh, Michael Crichton is basically a TV director uh, trying to make a if make that. a feature film. If that. Right. Um, and I think that this is his attempt to flail out and do what Michael Haneke did in Funny Games, which is to say, um, <laughs> you, you all love watching violence and whatnot. 
so let's throw it at you. And this this is what <laughs> this is what violence actually is. Social and commentary. Yeah, I think it is. I think he's trying to do a social oh, commentary. I wish you were right. And I think that cuckoo clock thing is uh, analogous to maybe doing, the re- the rewind mom- moment in Funny Games. Um, but I think, uh, of course, Hanukkah does it better. Although I I, I hate funny games i don't i don't like what he's doing and i think it's overblown I, I, you, you can go back and look at other things i've said about funny games but i think that this is michael Crichton trying to do the things that michael hacka does better in funny games but here about about violence and about how we love to watch a, a western where somebody gets shot and blood comes out and and all of these, but still crazy, funny music happens and a cuckoo clock sound and blah, blah, blah. But still we want to see our blood and we want to see women, get, women get taken. Um, I think that this is Michael Crichton's attempt to do the things that Michael Haneke is doing in Final Fantasy. Yeah, I, I agree with Kelly Watt and that I wish you were right. That, that would have been something else. But I – so the um, the cuckoo clock thing, it's just uh, – that's – and the list of things that bothered me about this awful movie, that's like way down there. But I, I do think – so I remember watching – you guys know the movie DOA with uh, – is it Edmund or Edward O'Brien? I think it's Edmund O'Brien. But I think Dennis, no, it's Quaid. Dennis Quaid. No, no, the original DOA, yeah. like an old black and white movie, which is brilliant, oh, yeah. by the way, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. There's a scene where he's just come into town. And he's staying at a hotel where there's a there's like a, a party in the room across the hall, and it spilled out into the hall. And there's all these beautiful women, uh, and he's come into the city from the small town where he lives. And this is where he's going to get poisoned. Uh, and then the rest of the movie is about him it's trying like to crazy. figure out who's poisoned him. Uh, but when he's in this hotel and there's all these beautiful women walking around, the movie does, and it's the director doing this. There's these crazy slide whistle, like wolf whistles, every time a woman walks by him. And it's like, it's not like quiet or anything, and it happens multiple times. And it's ridiculous. You know, you're watching. It's poison affecting his penis. You're watching, he's not been poisoned yet. You're watching this really cool old black and white film noir, and there's, a, there's wolf whistles when a woman walks by him. And it's the movie sound effect. He's not whistling. Um, First off, my dick makes that noise. But that's because I had it altered. After seeing Westworld, <laughs> what were we saying about wow. girls? I mean, I just, I just think that it's, uh, it's an attempt at, at humor that you know the the cuckoo clock thing. And so, Dingus, can you? Um, it's risque. I, I mean, I think what there's definitely something that Michael Crichton needs to work out in terms of this this idea of people, uh, you know, amusement parks going terribly wrong and killing people. You know, that's certainly something. And maybe there's some social satire there. I, I don't know. Um, but there's definitely something that Michael Crichton has to say to us about amusement parks, and the uh, West, how we see the West. He's like well, doing I, Cormac I, McCarthy. But I, but I also think it's about. I think he's doing something. I think he's trying to do something about humanity. I mean, uh, w- what is human and what is not, and what is the nature of? And then this is this yes, sort of this sort of kicks back into something that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, Kelly. This uh, with Chappie, or last week with Chappie. This this idea of creating consciousness and what does that mean? What does it mean to create a being? And and when does the being get to be a being? And and I think the movie is kind of reaching for that because there there is and. and and as as absolutely, I mean, I totally agree with Tom that this movie is just ham-handedly made. But there's this this poignancy for me about the robots that it seems that that they're being used and prostituted in this weird 
disgusting way and and it seems that they're they're developing awareness about this fact i mean there's the, there there there's a couple moments where they, their eyes sort of sparkle if you'll excuse the term those of you who love twilight even the um, it it feels like these are becoming beings that we have created, and then when 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 is the when is the point where we get to we get to use these beings we've created, and when do we have to draw the line to when they get to be able to make their own decisions? And I think that it, there is this weird for me watching it. There was this weird poignancy that happened as I watched the eyes of some of the characters. Uh, who are supposed to be robots, and also the humans are like, is that a robot or not? Um, so I, I think the movie is reaching for these things. I think it doesn't get there, but... Uh, do, you what, dogs. do you remember what precipitates the crisis, though? They don't know. The re- no, like, well, what, uh, what is it? So Should in it... Jurassic Park, of course, it's about you know greed or corporate greed. Or, you know, it's, it's right. sabotage. The only thing, because I was curious, okay, what's going to cause these things to go wrong? And I was curious, too, Ding, is, is it like they're acquiring consciousness? Is it doing something like that? I don't think the movie specifies it, but as near as I can tell, if you try to listen to the crappy techno babble, the the only thing you know they're saying things like, uh, "Oh, the the we have no control over the robots anymore." You know, they, they they talk about oh things are going wrong, but as far as like tracing down the problem to why they go wrong, the only thing that I could find in here <laughs> is a reference to humidity. What? I swear to God, that's it. See. If you watch the movie and you're like, okay, where is the, the tragic flaw in this idea of a West world and a Roman world and a medieval world? Is the, the only thing I could call from this movie is that humidity will be the undoing of all of this. You know, there's no, there's no human frailty. There's, there's no, you know, tampering in God's domain stuff. I mean, that, that stuff is maybe touched on, but as far as the root cause of what makes everything go wrong, I really do think it's humidity. Because there's a line where they're like, the humidity did this to the blah, blah, blah. And then otherwise, like they don't explain why everything goes wrong, do they? Or why they have humidity? the same humidity in Westworld and medieval world? They have the same kind of humidity, like the ones got fountains. It's all in the same area there. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's because I was watching it for thinking, okay, you know, what's going to be the thing that makes things go wrong? And that's all I could come away with is this one reference to the humidity messing up the robots. Well, as he's doing a, and it follows and leaving you to interpret. Well, I, I got more of a sense that it was that. That it was happening over time, and that it had just exponentially happened. Because right, but why? Because of the wind chill. I mean, you're right, Dingus. They definitely say, you know, we had this many of uh, minor errors, but this many critical right, errors last right. week. But 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 my point is, like, what caused that to happen? Is it that robots want consciousness? Is it that somebody is cutting corners and using cheap parts? As near as I can tell, the only concrete reference I could find in the movie to why things go wrong is a reference to humidity. Well, they all kill the humans, and then they go. Then they kind of stop, like they didn't really want their freedom, because maybe the humidity went too far into the red. Because like the Black Knight's just sitting there with the queen at the end. Well, isn't there's a rep, they also run out of battery power? I mean, that's I think what saves everyone. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, all the scientists die. I liked that. I did yeah. like that. This idea that they're trapped in the room and they suffocate. That was kind <laughs> yeah. of funny. yeah. And then you see him trying to break the door, like oh, suspense, gray lady down, and then. Richard Bedford just shows up. It's all, okay. Uh, Dingus, as far as, uh, like, one of the things, I I guess if you look at this, as Kelly mentioned, it was like a relic of the times, uh, and if you want to look for some kind of, like, like nascent or inchoate social commentary here, what I appreciated uh, is that this is Michael Crichton basically writing about uh, 
pre-video game LARPing and MMOs, this idea. (laughs) Dream Park. Yeah, that people want to escape and be immersed in these fantasy worlds. We didn't have video games back in 73. Um, But nowadays, that's what, you know... That what Richard Benjamin and Josh Brolin were pursuing, people satisfy that crave with video games. Right. Um, so. But it's weird because it's like they're using robots to simulate something that you think robots wouldn't be able to simulate really well. Like, okay, fist fights and hookers. Well, it makes no just, sense. I mean, it makes no sense. Like, okay, the guns... It's cheaper to get people. The guns just, have sensors, so you can't shoot them at people. But what about in the fist fight? What's going to stop you from punching a person? And, right. Or, and how do you know? Yeah, you don't know who's... Or, or when somebody gets thrown off a balcony, what's going to keep them from right. breaking the neck? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, and then when it, things it go wrong... No sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. I love... You know, I love how Jurassic Park tries to cover its scientific tracks, even though it's really goofy and falls apart at times. This movie doesn't even try that. No, no. Yeah. Well, no, Jurassic Park's like, okay, we're not quite sure what we did, but, like, we cloned dinosaurs, we don't really know what the tag no, they well, play this with, is like, You know, they play with, ah, the DNA was preserved in amber. That means we can still use it. And, uh, right, right, but you go, well, they obviously, they know enough to do what they can, but then Goldblum has it, like, well, you, you don't know if you should. Well, as in this, it's like, the the, the tech support guys all just, like, smoke, and, like, they're on, they're on they deal with, like, the complaints, too on their headsets like a telethon like yeah lady we'll get to your newspaper but they're also scientists like dissecting hey, when it sounds to me like you're glad you made us watch this um yeah, I'm not saying gl- it's good but I'm saying these are instructive <laughs> things are you glad you made the listeners watch it is my question oh that's Someone right wrote in. that's right so what did Kelly Wan what did other it's people last ones am I the only uh, uh, Westworld I mean even I think Dingus is on my side as being a Westworld hater he's a little bit kinder about it but what what did the listeners have to say about you forcing them to watch Westworld uh, Paul Weimer writes Boy, have we got a vacation for you. Westworld plays on a lot of the tropes that we later see in Jurassic Park, a resort for the wealthy meant to be the ultimate in a vacation. Unexpected difficulties lead to the park turning on the visitors to deadly results. Robots instead of dinosaurs, theme worlds instead of exhibits. The movie doesn't seem to consider, neither do the guests, just how dangerous the park is even when running properly. Sharp swords, guns that shoot real bullets, even if they don't shoot directly at living people, ricochet could kill. A sword can still cut someone by accident. No, as appealing these worlds might be, even working right, I would never want a vacation with Della. Best regards, Paul Weimer. Exactly, Paul. Yeah. But, I mean, when you go on vacation, like I went to Cancun and they had like this parasail, like you could get, like the boat just towed you out. But it's like to get down, the guys just had to catch you. And it was like right next to the huge skyscraper walls of the resort. And there was a sign that said, don't let it ruin your vacation if we miss, if we don't catch you. Like, you know, it's kind of on you a little bit. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing as Westworld, Kelly One. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying, Cancun. It's a good thing you're still with us today because Lord knows if you'd brushed up against that skyscraper, we would have lost you. Justin D. Heard writes Hey guys, man, I haven't watched this in a good 10 to 15 years. See, Tom? Well, I do like- recommend at least. Seeing it 10 to 15 years, years ago. before you see it again. Yeah. <laughs> if you want, if you want to experience the way the makers designed it, Michael Crichton—it was his first directing movie, directorial debut—and he quit after it, like for three years. Yeah, was that tough? Uh, yeah. Wait, has I he directed other movies? Oh, did great he do train Lover? robbery? He did great train robbery. Did he do look? Uh, maybe. 
he that wrote sounds... Looker, but he might have directed that as well, which is also clunky. But it feels like, yeah, he's not a good director. Did he but... do Coma? Who did Coma? Never mind. That's Robin no. Cook. They are kind of Robin small. Cook. First thing I was struck by besides the oddly sexualized reaction from the woman talking about Roman world was how weird the interaction between <laughs> Peter and John. In the first scene, Brolin seems amused but annoyed by Peter, but then once they're in Westworld, he seems to actually enjoy his company. Other than logistics. <laughs> yeah, they didn't seem like they'd be friends. Well, I was even wondering, is Richard Benjamin just harassing this guy sitting next to him on the hovercraft? I wasn't even sure if they knew each other. No, I, it was it's clear to me that, that the the cool friend is with the nerd. I mean, it was it was like, come on, just relax. Come on, we're gonna do this. I love that Justin brought that up. And he has to save J- Brolin by coming in from the shower to shoot. <laughs> I, I by the way, I love how Brolin dies. I love it just sort of happens. <laughs> That's when you know it's not, it's a serious movie, and not you're not gonna hear any more saloon fight sound effects. So you better. Check that shit at the door. <laughs> yeah, stuff gets real at that point. Yeah, in fact, you're an asshole for laughing before because those slide whistles—that was those were human feelings and nervous systems, right? And robot ones. Other than logistical concerns, my one question is why? What was Crichton's fascination with amusement parks? We have this Jurassic Park and timeline where they're going back in time to make their amusement park historically accurate. There well may be others. As for the movie, I enjoyed it, though I was put off by how quickly the entire Westworld was emptied out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and the robots even quit. They're like, all right, three people. <sighs> Where did the stand-in sheriff disappear to? I do love the way that – you mean Dick Van Patten? Yeah. Yeah. I do love how how they clean up the bodies, though. I mean, that's part yeah, of the point. Yeah, it's like Logan's running. Watching them, like – carry the bodies off and the bodies of the robots they have real weight to them like real human bodies i mean that i mean that was meaningful to me i mean i kind of liked that aspect of the movie yeah and they leave the bodies there till the customers are asleep like okay here's your view of right and everybody's asleep at the same time for some reason okay get the blessings out come on yeah wake up that's how it would have been back in the west was like oh you wake up and the bodies are gone by morning as for the movie I joined, I was put up by how quickly blah, blah, blah. the slow methodical chase was well done, and you could easily see the Terminator's genesis. Thanks, guys. Now off to watch Future World. Remember that movie? Uh, have you ever, have either of you ever worked in an amusement park? No, good lord, no. No, it sounds terrifying. Oh, I have. It is terrifying. But it, the wonderful, the, the wonderful thing about watching uh, Westworld is is the is that having worked in an amusement park myself uh there's so much that goes there's so much beyond behind the scenes that is going on there's so much machinery that so many yeah. people back there there's so much going on and i like that i think this movie kind of gets that and I, maybe my why i like it slightly more than tom liked it is that that feeling of the machinery that goes on behind an amusement park because i had to that was one of my first summer jobs and i really i like i like it i think i like it more for that reason Kelly Wan Dingus needs to read uh, Civil War Land and Bad Decline I kick yeah Dingus has read oh yeah oh yeah. good alright Bayonets um yeah anyway uh it would have been cool though if like the scientists had been like those teenagers uh, like the bored stoners who usually man the rides like <laughs> instead of the scientists it's just like yeah his, his Toshi chips out or something 
Now, the, the amusement park I worked at had a, enormous security precautions. I mean, it was just you had to like check your badge at every like thing. You had to, like, this is my costume. These are the things in my bag. I mean, it was not bored teenagers behind the scenes. It was security guards. Which one was it? Because Disneyland, I'm assuming, would be a police state compared to like Magic Mountain. It was. It was a, it's a place called Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia. Oh, you worked at Bush Gardens. Wait, oh yeah. Did that come up before? Uh, I, I, I hope not. Uh, no, Tom but, sounds bored. But I was actually a performer there in their little place that their little Renaissance fair. Yeah. Tom, you hear that? I do. Yes, I did know this about Dingus. Though. Our little Dingus is growing up. <laughs> yeah. Is that where Thanks. you guys met? <laughs> That's a negative Ghost Rider. Let's move on. Chris Markardson writes, "Hey guys, Michael Crichton really does like malfunctioning theme parks. This was the." Yeah, that's his brand. This was the first time I've ever seen this movie, and it was very enjoyable. I like that the movie oh, takes its Chris, time. No, it wasn't. Chris, ugh. Chris Markertson is a lover. He's just, he's going to like everything. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Even things he hates, he's going to like hating it. So the movie takes its time. That's one way to put it. I like that the movie takes its time. It does. It... He's right about that. Yeah. It does take its time. It's like Aliens, Tom. With Joey Johnson. Or, or Jaws. Dwayne Johnson would have been way later than Richard Benjamin. You know, you know another movie that takes its time. Another movie that takes its time is Chappie. <laughs> it takes all. It takes your time. When? <laughs> it takes your time. And then Chappie. shits oil in your face. I like the movie takes its time before there are any catastrophic failures, and you get to see the theme park functioning as intended for a while, like Casino. I added that part. Yul Brynner does a pretty darn good job of playing the gunslinger with a Terminator-like quality to his demeanor. I like that Crichton doesn't delve too deeply into the why of the failures. Rather, he focuses on the consequences of the failures, Tom, which I think is much more enjoyable to watch. Maybe Chris needed to pay closer attention to know that it's all about humidity. No, it's, oh, the humanity. Is that what they say? Finally, Kelly, it goes without saying that you'll have to continue the opsis. What? I'm pretty sure, oh, he's worried about Germany. I'm pretty sure that it's safe to say that everyone who listens gets a kick out of hearing Dingus and Tom cracking up, and everyone loves hearing what you write and you're delivering the Opsis every week. Take care, guys, Chris. The Opsis is fine. Aaron Vaughn writes, hopefully I'm not too late <laughs> in writing about this movie. I just found out Amazon had it streaming. Let's see, Tommy paid for it. Just like, uh, what's his name, paid for Daphne. Uh, we paid for it, too. I, I bought the DVD, and it... It came here, and we watched it on DVD. Well, and by we, Dingus means he. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not contribute any money to this. I watched Dingus' oh. copy. And, uh, yeah. and then, why is this so trash? <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm only familiar with Michael Crichton by way of watching <laughs> Jurassic Park as a kid, and then later as an adult. It's interesting that it has a recurring theme park gone wrong theme in both films, and probably books, if I read books. I love the constant questions from Richard Benjamin on the ride to Westworld. It's the kind of scene we don't get in movies anymore. And I'd say the same for the unbridled enthusiasm that escapes in mid-sense when he admits to James Brolin that this place is really fun. We don't get delivery like that anymore. If there's a hallmark, if, 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 if there's a hallmark of crying within by limited exposure to him, it's the permission for characters to be excited for the exciting, even if to operations employees, it's just another day. Tom, did you read Sphere? No, nor have I seen the movie, but I know what it's about. <laughs> did you read it? Dingus, you know what I'm talking about. Just saying the word Sphere, Dingus laugh. <laughs> no, I, I just didn't see that that uh, that segue coming. Tom Dreams Sphere. I, I did read Sphere. I, I I think the thing I remember most is that some dude is like coming up to a boat where a woman is lying down, and he goes, "Hello, legs," and he that's how that's he dresses. Oh, sorry. 
Two more things, Aaron Vaughn continues. I found in a quick Google search that we're getting an HBO adaptation of this. Yeah. Nathan Nolan. And J.J. Abrams. So, you know, temper your enthusiasm. Uh, really? That is... His wife, Lisa Joy, executive produced by J.J. Abrahams. I don't look forward to what dark and gritty reality reduction will get out of that. I also like how they used animatronic dinosaurs as real creatures in Jurassic Park, but had live actors and animals as robots in Westworld. Thanks for podcasts. Aaron gets the last mini So the funny thing is, in 1973, you could have either seen Michael Crichton doing his own version of Westworld, you know, his, his book, he directs a movie, or... You could have seen from two years ago Robert Wise's still brilliant Andromeda Strain. Um, I mean, it, it, Andromeda Strain and Westworld next to each other—it's—it's it's night and day. Uh, it's just absurd how good Andromeda Strain is and how awful Westworld is. What about Congo and Jurassic Park? No, Michael Crichton still got a lot of awful work to inflict upon the world, but Andromeda Strain, the original one, I, I maintain is still brilliant. What about Eaters of the Dead and Thirteenth Warrior? Oh, Thirteenth Warrior is Michael Crichton. I, I love the Thirteenth Warrior. Yeah. I'm sorry, I, I'm I'm a Thirteenth no, Warrior apologist. I am too. I like that one dude. He has deep voice. I liked the movie Soup to Nuts. I mean, I really like Thirteenth Warrior. Who directed that? Is it John McTiernan? Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Kelly One, what do we have to watch next week? Next week we're gonna watch nope. uh, Westworld. <laughs> nope. There's actually a TV – because in, in reading the Wikipedia page for this, I mean, they've been trying to kick around new stuff with Westworld forever. There was like a TV series. Um, Did you get an idea, Tom? Cowboy Robots. I really do think it's been displaced by stuff like Blade Runner and Terminator and, you know, video games. I'll, I, I am curious. Do, in all seriousness, I am curious to see what Jonathan Nolan is going to do um, um, with an HBO I, series. It's like you hear things like, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is making a Planet of the Apes. With Oliver Stone, and it sounds good in your mind, and then you see it, and it's like fucking end of days. But then someone like Rupert Wyatt comes along, and he gives us a good one. Yeah. So maybe Jonathan Nolan will do that with the the HBO Westworld. We'll see. I think I've had just enough reboots for the rest of my life. I don't want any more. All right. Well, you're gonna miss the uh, Jonathan Nolan Westworld then. I'm only seeing it in German. Kelly, one, will you still do three by threes with us? Yeah, what? What's everybody? You guys are. I'm going to do everything. It's going to be awesome. You'll see. It's going to be even better in German. Well, since no one knows what you're talking about, why don't you explain what you're talking about? Uh, moving to Germany. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Okay, well, we got that out of the way. Good. Yeah, all right. All right. Um, <laughs> before you go to Germany, let's do a three by three. Kelly Wan, this one I thought of you. Uh, this I'm... is next okay. week for your three by three. I want you guys to come up with your three favorite scenes involving, not talking about, not referencing, but the actual act of masturbation. <laughs> have we done this? I checked the list. Dingus, have we done this? I don't think so. Yeah, I, thought I think we would, re- we would remember if we had done this, I would think. Huh. We so, haven't done masturbation together? Apparently, no. Not as, not as a three by three. Nope. So, if you have picks for your favorite instances of masturbation in a movie, we'd love to hear what they are. Uh, send them to 3 by 3 at quarter3.com. That's the number 3, the letter X, the number 3, at sign, and then you spell out quarter23.com. Uh, we'd love to read them when we do the podcast next week. Um, 
And I will not be fielding questions about this because I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Just like the schools. Don't need to teach it. Everybody, it's natural. It's what comes natural. Everybody yeah. knows it when they see it. Yeah. Uh, next week, we will also be seeing, and we would invite you to see it as well, so you can listen to the podcast, The Gunman, um, directed by Pierre Morel, I think his name is, joined Sean Penn. Uh, so see that. Join us for the podcast of it. Uh, join us for the 3x3. Three three. Um, and, yeah, we look forward to seeing you guys then. I'm Tom Chick. I've been joined by, uh, let me go back and read your last name, Dingus, Christian McCloskey. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Oh, it is the humidity. Oh, oh, oh. La, 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 la. Tom, what about an amusement park, but where um, the people just go crazy and...